This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. We talk SVU, true crime, celeb guests. It's full of fun. Now, Kara, I have to tell you something. Oh my gosh. When don't you have to tell me something? I, I am excited. You are always, uh, I can always get a download of good gossip well, and good. stories from you. I don't know. It's just like, okay, so yesterday at the comedy store in the original room, the air conditioner was broken. No. So it was like 88 degrees, I would oh. say, inside. Um, the fans were going, everyone was stressed, but it was very, very hot in there. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the back with another comic we're talking. Suddenly I hear someone yell, we need a doctor. <gasps> we need a doctor. So then I look and a man is fully flopped over, cannot function. But then people say that he's choking. So they start putting fingers in his mouth and I go, no, Heimlich, Heimlich. And they're like, we need a doctor. So like... Like, I run to find a doctor. People run to find doctors. This comic, Steve, um, his girlfriend's a nurse. She comes in, and one of the door guys is a nurse, and then we have an EMT, whatever. So he was not choking at all. But the fact that people put fingers in his mouth was insane. And then later, everyone was talking shit. They're like, yeah, and then some bitch yelled to do the Heimlich. And I'm like, it's because I heard that he was choking. Um, But he just passed out and like because of the heat and he had taken a five <laughs> milligram edible Oh and no. he was just older but then the wife was having a full-blown panic attack because her first husband died oh, and this no. is her second husband and so so we had to keep her calm and then people from the audience started crying so I was like giving people water in the bathrooms and it was just but Greg Fitzsimmons on stage was on stage the whole time during this full medical emergency and then the show kept going and then it was Moshe and me and we had <laughs> to you, perform and then another person it? passed out and then another person passed oh out oh my god 
And then they ended the show early, gave everyone free bottles of water, and we're like, okay, we're done. It's fucking hot here, man. Like, Alexa keeps telling me high of 90, but when I get in my car, my car says 98. Like, it's just fucking hot as hell. And damn. Well, because I'm someone that doesn't I love always the show leave. must go on mentality. The show must go on. I guess <laughs> Greg just stood up there and then, like, continued. But I was running around trying to get involved, obviously. Uh, people were making fun of me. They are like, were you just yelling, like, we need a trach, cut his neck. <laughs> but... <laughs> And then no, but I, you're right, though. You don't put your fingers in someone's fucking mouth if there is an no. object. If there is an object, like, you could push it farther back in. Like, it's bad. It's so bad. But also, when I get too uncomfortable, I do smile and I can't. Like, I don't know what it is. So when I ran out looking for a doctor, people are like, are you kidding? And I'm like, no, they're like, you're fully <laughs> smiling. Because you're, like, grinning? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just so uncomfortable and scared. I don't know what to do. And then people, and then I got made fun of. They're like, you were just ran out smiling for a doctor. And I was, uh, but everyone is fine. People, oh, and then, and then someone in front of me called 911 and they're like, we've heard, we've sent someone. So uh, the people were on the ground and helping, but it was a wild, hot Well, night. Lisa is a famously see something, say something person. Recently, yes. we were in Chicago. We did pass a small dumpster fire and Lisa did call 911 to report it. But and I was after- casual. I was, I didn't know. Yeah. I say, listen, it's yeah, a small yeah, yeah. fire, but it could get bigger. Yeah. No, it's smart. It's like hot. It, I don't know. Dumpster fires are scary. What's in there? Someone could have thrown away a fucking bottle of nail polish remover and yeah. then it hits that and it's like, boom, you know? Well, like, that, who knows? that was the scary part. It was right yeah. next to a nail salon and they have so many chemicals. Yeah, I'm usually see something, say something. For some reason that night, I was like high and tired and was like, now nah, we're okay. Let's just keep moving. And you were like, no. <laughs> and then your sister was with us and she was like, okay, well, now we have to stay and wait for the police. And you were like, no, we're not staying for that. <laughs> we just left. Which I think is fine. I think they just well needed. because when I saw the guy getting uh, you know got hit by a, a car on his bike in New York and called when the cops came they did not acknowledge me they were not they were terrible people like there's no point of waiting if you're yeah not and like involved. dealing with them I just didn't yeah. want to leave that man screaming alone but yeah I don't know I don't need to see them they're usually not very nice no. Is it Chicago, I think, where they just said, some one of our listeners sent us this, I think. they Chicago, they just made a rule about, like, you can't chase somebody during questioning or something. Like, if a, if someone runs away, like, you can't chase them if you're just yeah, questioning. Yeah, I'm sure them. the cops are really going to follow yeah, that strictly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's like some new law or something. I don't know. I'm sure I'll get a thousand uh, DMs of people sending me the article. Oh, now, but. speaking of hot, I do have a question for you. How hot is too hot to work outside on a laptop? Like, will your laptop explode at what 70 80 90 do i bring I mean, it to the pool or no oh i don't think you have to worry about that in the pool you'd be underneath like uh you'd be underneath like the shade of an umbrella like you'd be fine you know okay also you could look at your phone like your if your phone is too hot you know your phone tells you yeah you know but i would say it, you're fine like okay. if you're you know lounging um, well, no, because I always feel guilty not leaving my house as often as I should. And then when it's that hot, I go, you know what? How can we? No, it's so fucking hot. And trying to find, I, Rosie's been home this week and trying to find like things for her to do that are like partially inside or where she can get wet. It's like, you know, it's really fucking tough. Um, have you speaking, been getting her wet? Like, where Yeah, we we've been her? taking her to the pool. Yeah, we, okay. we <laughs> took her to the pool yesterday. And um, 
I'm taking her to, well, the, actually, she's getting her COVID vaccine today with Oscar. They're both getting Whoa. COVID vaccinated today. I'm really excited. Really excited. Is um, she going to get ice cream after? I feel like she's going to finagle yeah, a donut Yeah, you're right. I do have to promise something. You're right. I'm going to have to promise something because she's hip to the she's hip to the needles now. But I went to the picnic, like the final picnic for my daughter's school last week. And one of her teachers came to me and goes, you know, you know, Rosie does podcasting at school just like mom. And I go, first <laughs> so of all, cute. I've never told this teacher that I'm a podcaster. So I was like, what? And she was like, because you know how Rosie has known that word forever whenever mom's busy. She goes, are you podcasting? Like she says it all the time. And so she, the, the teacher goes, yeah, the other day she was doing a Paw Patrol podcast with her friend Magnus. And I go, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like I could not believe it. And like she walked by them and was like, what are you guys doing? And Rosie's like, we're podcasting. And she was like, what's it about? And they were like, Paw Patrol. And I love the idea of a bunch of three-year-olds like getting on the mic and being like, I don't know. Marshall wasn't really bringing it this week. Um, Chase, as always, top of my list. (laughs) You know. (laughs) It's so cute. I do want to know what they were saying. Hopefully, Uh, Magnus can come over and we could spy on them or something. (laughs) Well... In, a, in in other news, the teacher also told me that she has to keep Magnus and Rosie away from each other sometimes because they kiss on the lips. Well, yeah, didn't you say they're split up next year? Or no, someone else. Next year, you they're can... not going to be in the same class. She's not in the class with, uh, she's only in the class with like a couple of her of her friends, but I think that's like on purpose or whatever. But they, yeah. they'll see each other at recess, but Magnus and her are like new. She's like, he's my new best friend. And I guess they kiss on the lips all the time, which... Whatever. That doesn't, like, scandalize me. I just thought it was cute and funny. Wow. Um, I mean, I hope they're not, like, leave room for God, you know, or any of that <laughs> bullshit. But, you know. No. Oh, my God. I was, like, so good and behaved. And then a couple days ago, I broke and just started fighting everyone on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> and well, it's been a tough, just... it's been a tough fucking couple of weeks, you know? Uh, yeah. I think it's we can really... scream at people if we want. Yeah, I, I guess like the core, I mean, obviously there's a lot of horrors of everything that happened, but what I what I can't wrap my brain around is like, who do these people think they are? Like, who are you? You were like, why do you think you know everything? Or your simple solution works? Like, that's what's confusing where it's like, just do this, just travel. Like, what are you talking about? You don't think yeah. the life is more nuanced? Like, are they that dense? Like, are these just idiocracy, like the dumbest people alive and they just think that's how simple life is? Or they don't care? Like, what is it? It's like, I don't understand why you think, like, fine, just use birth control. Oh, yeah, that solves everything. Like, there's more nuance to life and all of this. And no, I but don't that's get the thing. The there's no nuance the with these people. There's yeah. no nuance. It's these are babies and you are murdering them. Like, there's no science. There's no nuance. There's, like, nothing you can tell anyone. That's, like, that's just it. Like, as you read comments, I'm just like, yeah, you can't explain that to anyone. Like, they're all like, yeah, it was never a constitutional right to murder. Like, you know, it's bull, it's it's complete bullshit. And it's like, that's why people are like, after Trump, when people were like, reach across the aisle, try to like, you know, talk to people and get like, see where they're coming from. It's like, I just can't, I can't see where people are coming. They have like a fundamental worldview problem that I cannot get behind. Yeah, and with the Trump stuff, it's also like, outside of policy, whatever, he can't read. Don't you want a leader who can read and write? Like, that's what I always say. I'm like, it doesn't matter what you believe. Like, I know. He, when he plagiarized Bain in his, like, uh, what is it? <laughs> What's the State of the Union? See, like, I didn't even know that. What? He plagiarized Bain. That's when I was like, what the fuck is happening? We're, like, in a simulation. He's the worst thing that's ever happened to our country. Um, 
I, I don't know. I just... Throwing the ketchup. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's just enraging. But like, so I just saw someone post like a sonogram and like a, this, the fetus inside of him is like seizuring, not going to live. And she had an appointment for Friday. Now she can't go. So now the doctor's like, you just have to wait for it to fully just die inside of you or give birth to a dead baby. And everyone, of course, in the Instagram is like, this is horrible. I'm so sorry. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being vulnerable. And then some like high school aged girl, like it said 22 volleyball, like tw- like young is like, this is amazing. Miracles happen. You got to believe in God, this and that. And it's like, that's how I felt when I went to North Park, when I went to that evangelical Christian college um, after, you know, I had a few arrests and it was close to my parents' house. And so it was like the cockiness of everyone. And I know youth, you think you know everything, but it is just shocking to think at 18, you just like, know what people need to do about their fucking, their, like, she wanted this, she wanted it. She wanted yeah. to be pregnant. Like, yeah. I don't understand the lack of humanity with these people, the empathy, the like, oh, you know that couple that was like, we'll adopt your baby? Do you know about them? Yeah. Not citizens. And then in a comment, they wrote, it's actually too much money to adopt, but we're happy if anyone wants to help us. So these people that got famous with the sign of we'll adopt your baby, not citizens, cannot even adopt in this country and are too poor to do it and want people to give them money. It's like, what are you talking? And then someone was like, why don't, like, I mean, you work with CASAs and stuff. Like, foster care and all of that is for reunification, right? And it's like, why don't you want to give money for these people to be able to keep their children if you care so much? Like, I don't know. It's like, I just want to murder everybody and I don't know what to do. No, I, you're right. And like, what, and like, I don't know, the scary part is when they're talking about how if they take over, it could become a nationwide ban. And then it doesn't matter that we live in California. It doesn't matter. And then it's like, Clarence Thomas, do you just like not want to fuck your wife? I know she's probably like too old to get pregnant at this point. He wants her to be no contraception. He wants her to be like, no, I mean, like gay marriage probably too, but it's like, why are you so against people fucking? Like, what is your problem? Like puritanical background here he probably your wife that planned your wife that planned january 6th she's not you you don't like it's fucking crazy oh another twist i saw there was like people with rheumatoid arthritis and they can't get their medication anymore because that medication is known to cause abortion and people use it for forced like to do at-home abortions so now people with arthritis in certain states can't get their medication anymore yeah this is like so twisted i just and then there was someone that's like, I'm pro-choice and an atheist, but you guys are unhinged. Relax. Stop feeling emotional. Like, it's a state's issue. Just vote. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We didn't even think we would be here. What are you talking about? Like, how are you all so sure about that you feel safe in California or that we're unhinged? People said I was unhinged in 2016. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. people have been saying I've been unhinged. No. I'm never wrong. I was talking, I was messaging with our friend Julia about that. Like, the 2016 gaslight of like, this is never going to happen. It was like... We're, look where we are now, dicks. Um, but well, no, say another fun thing. We're not ending on this. Yeah, we can't end on this. Oh, well, one fun thing that I wanted to point out is we are not touring for a little bit, but we are going to be at the Montreal Comedy Festival, the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. Just been announced uh, July 29th. We will be there um, at the... Hilton Montreal Inspiration Room at 4.30. So come see us in Montreal. If you live in the 
general Eastern Canada area, please, or you're going to be at that festival, which is an amazing festival, please come see us. We Every show is different. I don't know if you've seen us before, but every show is different. And we're going to do a classic episode and we play games and have a lot of fun. So, And we try to, we try to do a little wink to the town we're in. You know, we try to connect the episodes <laughs> in some way to where we are. But yeah, we'll be in a room, a conference room in a hotel. So I'm jazzed. And it's in the afternoon. So, well, I guess, yeah, we'll see what we have at night, but we can get rowdy, rowdy early. <laughs> we love to get the show out of the way so we can get blacked out. Um, <laughs> any other stuff going on with you? I feel like there was like one other thing. Oh, I mean, we can't super get into it, but I'm really jazzed to start Real Housewives Ultimate girls trip at Bluestone Manor. Very excited. I've been listening to a podcast about it this morning and I can't wait. I heard it's like what we deserve after the first season was kind of just like breezy. This one's like great. I didn't watch the first season at all. It just didn't interest me. But here it's like, yes, yes, yes. It's awesome. And Atlanta is bringing the levity. Like the Atlanta housewives are the most normal, funny people. And then everyone else is truly unhinged in not a 2016 way, like a true... Yeah. Well, I was listening to our friend Joel Kim on this podcast and he was like, I hate to say it, guys. Phaedra's a star. Phaedra's Phaedra's a star. star. Hate to say it. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I mean, we all... Yeah, like they were talking about this. They were like, we all have this idea of this bad thing she did, but I think enough time has passed and we're ready for her to be a star And so many more people have hit people on that network and now have committed giant crimes. Yes. It's like, who cares? Class action lawsuits, baby. <laughs> FBI, not even, the FBI. Yeah. I mean, they just snatched Jen Shaw up. I mean, um, Phaedra, like Dorinda was talking about Richard and she's like, oh, Richard, he comes <laughs> to me at night. And then Phaedra goes, who's Richard? And it's like her dead <laughs> husband, but... Because um, it's like, she expects that, like, Phaedra's watched a second of her season. It's like, Phaedra doesn't watch the other housewives, Well, that's I'm what sure. our friend Julia said. She's like, they're all just such narcissists. They speak like everyone knows what they're up to. But it's right. like, no one, they don't care about each other. They're all narcissists. So, well, it was so funny. I think in the Jersey reunion, someone was calling someone a narcissist. And then... Um, they went, well, Andy, you do that. And he goes, yeah, and I'm a narcissist. So that's why I do that. <laughs> and I love that Andy was Andy full. was stepping up to the plate, owning it as Lisa full Rinna. transparent. Oh my God, this morning. Okay, so last thing, we do have to start the episode, but Lisa did give me when I had Oscar, I believe, gave oh, yeah. me a plastic, a, a bunny. It's like a wooden bunny. And it says, I brought the bunny and it's wrapped in a plastic bag. And it's so funny. And this morning, Rosie finally spotted it after like a year of us having it in her room. She was like, can you open it? Can you open it? And I was like, no, the joke is that it stays in the bag. <laughs> and she kept being like, oh, so I opened it up. I let her touch it. And then I go, now it has to go back in the bag. I was like, that's part of the joke. And she was like, okay. <laughs> but One anyway. day, you're like Mufasa and she's Simba. And it's like one day, all these housewives references will be yours. That's so funny you said that. She just watched Lion King today for the first time. Did she like it? Yeah, she. we didn't show her all of it. Like she really wanted to see Timon and Pumbaa because she has a Pez dispenser of Pumbaa. But like, you know, she was into it, yeah. But you know the story with that I saw on the internet that they auditioned to be some of the hyenas and that they were so funny. They created those characters for Nathan Lane and whoever the other person is. Who is is the other one? I don't know. Can Uh. someone click clack, please? (laughs) We'll find it. Oh, yeah. We'll find out. Oh, also... I watched more Real Housewives of Dubai and I only had watched the first episode when I told you that I hated that one housewife, but I am fully on her side now and I like her. Um, Chanel Ion. 
Yeah, she's making me laugh and she's a true, like, she knows what she's doing and I'm back on. The first episode, I was just like, you're annoying, but now I'm like into it. Yes, she, you, and you also like get more of her story and I think you like her. Um, But, okay, wait. Oh my God, I think it's like nobody famous. So maybe it was just Nathan Lane and they created it. But I heard he auditioned for the hyenas yeah, no, and they're Timon like, no. Is, yeah, Timon is Nathan Lane and then the other guy is... Maybe he's famous and people are going to come for me, but I think... Um, yeah. <laughs> in fifth grade, it was my friend's birthday and I brought her a giant stuffed Pumbaa with like stuffed bugs in its mouth. And it was... I, I mean, how long ago? And I still remember. I was like very jealous that day. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's... The guy's name is... Er, is it Ernie Sabella? Is that it? Yeah, Ernie Sabella. So I'm sorry for all you Sabella heads out there if I just So maybe it was just the Nathan Lane thing or it's just a fake thing on Instagram because... You know, I just, uh, yeah. We believe that Instagram is the Bible. Um, <laughs> we should get started. We have an awesome... Oh, oh, I did see one more horrific thing if we want to end on a horrific note before we start. I mean, what, I'm not going to turn down horrific. What's up? So my friend Nicole, she posted, you know, we're all kind She, My mom just keeps saying rapists get to choose the mother of their children now. And And she goes, that one sentence is alone for me to be pro-choice. But like that kind of, I woke up in the morning, grabbed my phone immediately and then saw that. And I was like, well, good morning, Baltimore. Like, yeah. Well, but did you see that? Like, did you see that woman from like, I think Utah or some state where she was like, um, I, women can control the ejaculate that goes into their body or something like that. It's like, so you can't, you can't say that because like, there's this whole legitimate rape thing that is like crazy and bullshit. Oh, and and then there was a cop I saw doing a thing and he, um, he was quoted saying, I've only met one person that got pregnant from rape and said like, this is bullshit. And it's like, yeah, because no one talks to you. And I'm sure multiple people have tried to report rapes to you. And I hate all of you. I shouldn't have gone down this rabbit hole again. Anyway, we have a we have an interesting episode jam-packed with lots of stuff today. So let's get started. Criminal Stories. That's what we're doing today. Season 15, episode 18, aka 17 on Hulu. Why do they do this to us? Why is Hulu have a vendetta against us? Now we can't take screenshots. I just don't understand why you would call one episode, two episodes of television that are connected. One episode. Because it fucks up the whole season. It's like usually the season premiere is what's like combined and then it's fucked for the rest of it. Hulu, get your shit together. Um, But we are here. Should we start a change.org petition? (laughs) Yeah, for Hulu. And circulate it with our listeners. And for us not to be able to take screenshots, like get over yourself. Let us take a fucking photo. Yeah, you have to When I see you this weekend, I'm going to install this extension on your uh, Chrome that lets you do it. Thank you so much. Um... And we're back, okay, from our Hulu rant. Um, We're on the episode. We open on a hand pressing the elevator buttons, and guess who it is? It's our queen, Olivia Benson. Mm. And she's got short hair with a little curl and bounce, and her dainty gold necklace is on. And then we see Hank Abraham, uh, um, bust on um, to the elevator and immediately starts to stress her out. And she gives him some sass, like, what? Uh, What did my detectives do this time? Hank Abraham, if you don't know, he is a... Uh, he, he ended up being a child pornographer and is in jail. Well, and one of our listeners just sent us like stories that the actress who plays Pippa Cox is like in a Broadway show right now or something. 
thing. And she was backstage and was like, I have some time, ask me some questions. And she wrote her, how did, how did Pippa not know? And, <laughs> and she just made a face like, Ugh. and then somebody else wrote, have you ever thought about Pippa and Olivia ending up together? Or something like that. Yeah, they're both just so damaged and sad. Yeah. yeah maybe <laughs> maybe they should end up together. I think Olivia could help Pippa a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's like a, not a, you know, he's from the one PP office. He's like a business suit guy of the police station. So she immediately thinks that, you know, they're in trouble. What did her detectives do? She rolls her eyes a little bit um, and she's just annoyed by his presence. So he goes, actually, don't be so cynical. It's your lucky day. The legendary Jimmy MacArthur wants to interview your squad. And her response is Jimmy Mac, legend in his own mind. So just from that <laughs> one exchange, we learn so much. Like, this is genius writing to me, I think. But call her Shania Twain. She is not impressed. Okay. <laughs> he obviously loves this guy um, who, th- who he thinks is the best columnist, hot shot ever. He has Pulitzers to prove it. And he wants to do a story on SVU. And she says, why? Because there's blood in the water. And he goes, cynicism again. Um, and then he said, you know, good point. He goes, better to have him on your side or our side. And the commissioner, his friend, wants this to happen. So you really don't have a choice. And it is what it is. Um, but she walks away and says, I'll think about it. But too late. Fucking, he's in the squad room. He's played by Alec Baldwin, who... I I just don't... I don't think we need to give credits. <laughs> no, my thing with... That's amazing, yeah. Um, <laughs> I To me, I was gonna... Like, he just sucks. So has he just been riding high off Beetlejuice this whole time? Or... Alec Baldwin? Yeah, like, what else do people love him from? I love him in 30 Rock. I think he's beloved from 30 okay, Rock. Okay, so, but between Beetlejuice and 30 Rock, there's, like, 40 years. So, like, what... No, he's always been in stuff. Like, he's in um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Like, he's in a lot of movies people like. Not you and me. Like, I wouldn't say I can name a bunch of movies that are my favorites. Beetlejuice is definitely a fave. And then he's been a movie star for, you know, quite a while. But who knew that the other Baldwins would end up being more likable? Like, who knew Stephen Evangelical Lunatic would be, like, the top gun? Of- I always thought Billy was the hottest one. Billy was the hottest. He had, like, the blue eyes. But yeah. I, I just... Uh, but remember, he screamed at his daughter on the phone. And oh, like, yeah. Like, like I would loved Alec Baldwin for years. was like, he's so funny. And then when you started getting all that stuff, you're like, oh, is he like an asshole? Like, the g- screaming at his daughter, he screamed at a paparazzo and called him like a gay slur. Like, he's he's got an anger problem. And now he's married to this full grifter, Hilaria Baldwin, which by the way, I somehow get notifications on my phone for like a Hilaria Baldwin group on Reddit where they absolutely hate her and just talk about everything she does. And it's pretty entertaining. No, yeah. And then he just shot a woman and doesn't care. Like truly is acting like the victim of it. Famously, famously was at my uncle's funeral a week later. It's really... It's really weird. I th- He's like Erica Jane of the East Coast, where it's like, you are not the victim here, and it seems like you do not care at all about anyone or anything, and you killed a woman, and you're just, like, living. And why have we not gotten to the bottom of that yet? Like, what happened there? Like, I really need to know. Yeah, so have fun with this con artist raising all your fucking baby. I just hate him, and he's annoying. And But he is cast wonderfully in this role. So anyways. <laughs> and seven kids, please. 
The world is on fire. Nobody needs seven kids. You're taking up too many resources. And you have eight kids because you have your older daughter. And what happened to Kim? I loved her. Kim Basinger, is that how you say it? Bassinger? You know, no, Kim Basinger. I I loved her. She was a huge part of my youth. Like she was, Did you watch the movie where she was like the bank robber and a lot of bank robbery things were happening? Oh, maybe. she was held hostage and forced to bank rob for someone to get her kid. I I, I loved her. Oh my gosh. I don't remember that. I just remember her from like Batman and like LA Confidential. Like she's in so many cool movies, but like- she's gone and I feel like she probably still looks gorgeous and could have a comeback at any time, but maybe she's just like, I don't need to work. Yeah, but whenever this happens to women, I assume it's a Harvey Weinstein, like a Mira Sorvino, where it's like, I'm just going to ruin your career. Like when, or Ashley Judd. Like anytime a cool, talented woman disappears, I'm like, who did you piss off? Yeah, like who'd you piss off? Interesting, yeah. That's where my brain goes. But also famously, um, they were in an episode of The Simpsons, like season 11, 12-ish, like past the prime, but... The, um, Homer became Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger's assistant. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, and was living with them and they loved Homer. And then um, he started like selling their secrets and stuff for attention and they were mad. And Ron Howard's in that episode. It's pretty wild. And I will say Mira Sorvino, still working, j- did a movie that my husband was the punch-up writer on and she got his email address and would send him jokes every night. Oh my <laughs> God. Why haven't you ever said this before and why haven't we emailed her? I But I, I go into his email account sometimes like to, you know, check things that I got to like do for him. And at the time I checked in and like I saw an email from Mira Sorvino and I was like, this is so wild. Um, yeah, I love her. Romeo and Michelle is like a very important movie. I remember the moment I saw it in the movie theater. Like, thank you to my sister. I remember sister, her winning Elon. the Oscar for at Mighty Aphrodite. And like, yeah, oh, she was always that. such huge. Huge. This is where we split off. Um, did not see okay. that one. I just haven't I seen did, that I one. I saw it, but I don't think I got it. I think I saw it like I was too young. I was like, what is this movie about? Like, I didn't understand it, but. Oh, wait, um, did you watch this show? Someone was talking to me about this show yesterday and I was like, I bet fucking Kara saw it and loved it. What show? Just the 10 of us. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I knew it. I took a screenshot. I'm like, I know that Kara fucking. Oh, yeah. I like still (laughs) see actresses and I'm like, she's from just the 10 of us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyways, anyways. So Alec Baldwin's there and all the SVU detectives are sitting around him, a lot of extras, and he's doing like some blowhard um, storytelling. And Amanda's not amused. She's sitting there like bored and annoyed at his sexist jokes. Um, But everyone's like sucking his dick and and everyone asking for more cum. But I don't feel it while I'm reading it. But when I wrote, it, I felt it. Okay, so Benson is like, <laughs> thanks for that advance warning, dude. And Baldwin spots her and he uh, goes, oh, the woman of the hour. And Abraham is like, listen, I had no idea he was coming. He was supposed to call ahead. And then I kind of like Baldwin for a second because then he has a great quote and he's talking about Abraham to Benson and he goes, you know how you can tell Hank is lying? He's breathing. That's fun. <laughs> so... They have some hello and buys, reveals, whatever. He's profiling Benson. She's not happy about it, but he references that the city needs a hero and everything she's been through, you know, with William Lewis, that he wants this, like, hero story. Um, He's like, let's do an interview in your office. And she's like, I have work to do. And he's like, what? And she goes, I have open cases and meetings with the DA, so bye. Um, And he goes, what about lunch? What about this? And she's like, I work. Um, So they agree to a supper. And he says he's going to pay for it. And he, like, you know, says something about the commissioner. So then he goes to Finn and is a weirdo, and I don't care. And Rollins is like, (laughs) so then Rollins goes up to Benson and is like, is it okay that we're even talking to him? She's so thoughtful here. And I'm 
Maro goes, don't worry, he did most of the talking. And Finn adds, he's working us, looking for dirt. And Benson says, Benson lays the law down. Um, and says he's writing this on account of one PP, so it is what it is, and he probably wants to know about Nick shot an unarmed child. Um, Amanda had a gambling operation, <laughs> so they're like, <laughs> he's trying to get dirt, so be careful, and everything will be used against you. They do like a big hands-in team meeting, understood, understood, let's go, we cut to dinner. He gets a whiskey, she of course is having a glass of red wine, there's white tablecloths, and she's being really vulnerable actually with this guy, and how after 15 years counseling survivors, um, and like telling them what to do, like finally that she's been through it, like and the trial and everything, it just brings a whole new perspective on um, everything she's been saying to victims for her whole career. But it, it, she says it's over now. So she gets a call and goes, I have to go to work. And he's insisting to come. And she's like, absolutely not. And he goes, actually, I've been authorized full access. So go fuck yourself. And you won't even know I'm there. Um, so- Wait, but real quickly, like when they're at dinner, like she talks about how she had nightmares and he starts to like write it down. And I'm like, what... You're going to write an article about how this captain from, about how this SVU uh, officer has had a traumatic experience and has nightmares. I'm confused where this profile is going. Oh, yeah, but then you're right because then she stops him and goes, please don't put the nightmares. And he makes like a thing of like, usually if things are off the record, tell me beforehand. But I think he was respectful. I don't remember if he was respectful or not in that moment. But it just, it just gets you thinking about like, what are his intentions here to write some sensational profile about like how, like, some thriller movie basically about how Olivia was like attacked and then put it in the paper. Like that just, I don't know, is that journalism? Like it doesn't really seem. Also, I was doing some research for our live shows and I um, read that when they created William Lewis, their goal was to create the worst, most evil criminal of their show's history. Like it was their goal. And they succeeded. Wow. I think they succeeded. Yeah. Um, but that we got to talk to someone about that episode too, because I want to know: Did you guys like have Pablo Schreiber in mind, or like did he audition and just nail it? Because he's so fucking creepy. Yeah, but he's so hot. Like the wiki little photo of him is like he is. Oh no, not the wiki. There's a scar. No, like William Lewis has the scar, and it's like a creepy photo. But if you go on the Pablo Schreiber page, it's a yeah. hot photo. <laughs> Yeah, he looks really good. So, anyways. Yeah, Pablo is hot. William will burn his own fingertips off. Like, (laughs) Which some of you might be into. (laughs) Can you imagine? Um, Yeah, I just like dudes with their fingertips burnt crispy off. (laughs) I like a smooth fingertip. What can I say? (laughs) No ridges or whorls. Wait, were we talking about when you're older, your fingertip, like your things change? They do? We were never talking about this? I don't know. I don't think so. It doesn't matter. But if you're someone that's a fingertip expert, let us know if your little, your marks change as you age and like shift. So it's a very, um, so we're we're on the scene of the crime. Are we back? Okay, we're back. It's a very, um, you know, hot walk and talk with Finn and Mauro and Benson. They're walking, they're talking. Finn says people heard moaning around 2 a.m. It's a 24-year-old victim, Heba Salim. Uh, Clothes were torn, bloody, scratches, bruises, not good news. Rollins arrives in a beanie and like fantastic outerwear. She always, she has the best outerwear of all the detectives, I would say. Um, And she said that two white men had raped her and it's time to get to work. Finn is like, ugh, what the fuck is Alec Baldwin doing here? And Benson's like, don't (laughs) even. (laughs) 
<laughs> There's nothing we can do. Uh, Vic is Muslim, Amanda informs Benson, and the guys ripped off her head covering and screams slurs at her. And then Alec comes in and goes, hey, I hear it's a hate crime. Like, it's fucking gossip. And they all turn to look at him, and it's the credits. Okay, so then we open on the fish tank, and but it's the nicer fish tank room, and it's the victim and the victim's family are in there. And behind the glass spying is Mr. Hamilton fame, Leslie Odom Jr., who um, is going to be in Knives Out, too, which I'm thrilled about. Yeah, I love Knives Out. Um, it's a great plane movie if you need to watch something again and again. Just had to watch it on a plane because when I went to see it in the theater, I fell asleep for the entire thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's like fun. It was so good. We went to a theater with lie down, heated seats and alcohol. So I had one glass of red wine and I was asleep before they even started talking about the murder. Like I saw the murder and then I was like, good night nurse. Like I could not stay awake. And I love a Daniel Craig in like, uh, who's the rooster from Looney Tunes? Yeah, he's full foghorn leghorn. I loved it. I like, yeah, I like that. People hated I that. I feel like stuff. he's, like yeah, that. he's doing like a foghorn leghorn, like KFC chicken guy. What's that guy's name? The Colonel. The Colonel. Like he's, yeah, he's doing, do you remember he's when leaning into it. Reba McIntyre was. I sure do. Yeah. We are a Reba McIntyre stand podcast. I think. We, we are. We're one of the first <laughs> podcasts to post photos of her eating a corn dog. I'd say that. And Leslie's been in seven episodes of SVU and he's just very booked and blessed and working and he's very talented and we're lucky to have him here. Um, but they're disagreeing on things. Barbara arrives with evidence, you know, evidence, evidence, give me evidence. I need more evidence. And Rollins is in an incredible swoopy, messy updo that is perfect. And while she's talking, the credits just show Delaney Williams. And so I'm excited. I know what's about to happen <laughs> and it's going to be enraging. So they, you know, they're complaining because they can't really talk to her in front of her family. Um, and they also don't want the reverend there. And the reverend's like, you need to, you know, it's not just a rape, it's a hate crime. Um, and it's also like, I think the rapes, I don't know, are we now trying to figure out what's more important, rape or hate crimes? Like, I don't get why the investigation changes so much also. But yeah, I, I don't know. So I know it adds a lot of charges. Like, I think it, oh. the hate crime statues are very punitive. Yeah. So yeah, the Reverend wants to focus on the hate crime of it all and the SVU detectives obviously want to deal with the rape of it all. So he, and then he also adds, they don't trust the NYPD and they've called me to be their advocate. So you need to allow me to be here and respect me. They don't trust you. And Benson steps up as the leader she is and she sends Detective Rollins and Amaro in to talk to Heba and tells Reverend Curtis Scott and Barba to reassure the family and go with the family. But I also don't understand why they're sending Amaro in to talk to like a devout Muslim woman who's just been attacked like send in two women I really like I know he's hot but like I don't understand he's like I know he does well with grandmas but yeah this isn't this isn't the gig um so they go in and there's like her brother is there and he goes you guys are promising secrecy but a reporter already fucking called my house screams you know he's screaming and of course it's Jimmy MacArthur from the ledger who was there and Barbara and Finn are pissed as hell that he would like start harassing the victim before even being questioned and the brother is like he asks questions about the detail of the slurs and so Leslie is like see someone at SVU already violated her trust Finn says that's not coming from anybody here and another brother gets up fuming saying why should we believe you? And it's a stare down. And it's like, if you're going to believe someone, at least, you know, believe Finn. Um, Mm. 
So Heba has like blood on her forehead still. Her eyebrows are on point though. Like eyebrows look amazing. So she is saying the brothers are blaming themselves. And to me, it's like, why are you making it about them? Like you got attacked and she's just so focused on like that her brothers feel guilty. And it's it's just like a sad moment for me. And Rollins has my point of view and she's like, let's not worry about them right now. Let's talk about you. Um, they So... They were at an event for her brother's firm. He works at a real estate company and they were doing a big event at the Plaza Hotel that was for the World Food Bank benefit. And she was a volunteer. She handed out auction paddles and left a little after midnight, she says. Um, but please don't tell my parents, but I did have a glass of champagne with some of the other girls. Um, and she was alone and the street was quiet, but she heard two men behind her laughing at her. But she didn't, like, she doesn't know if she... She always feels paranoid because people always laugh at you. Like, if you're someone in a hijab, she's like, people are always talking shit. So sometimes I, t I tell myself, like, I'm being paranoid and it's not about me. But once they passed her... Um, they grabbed her and pulled her over a stone wall in the park. Amaro is a little victim shaming and is like, well, why didn't you yell or scream? And she said she tried, but they tore her hijab off and held it like in her mouth, like over her mouth. And they threw her to the ground and she reveals all the details and like they raped her. Rollins starts asking more private questions and she gets super uncomfortable. She says she was a virgin and they took turns and told her to go back to India. And they called her a Muslim bitch, whore, and terrorist. And Amaro says, would you recognize them again if you saw these two white guys? And she goes, I didn't really see their faces. He pushes her for more details about clothes and smells. And she said she kept her eyes closed because she was scared that they were going to kill her. Then it's like a cartoon move where Benson opens the blinds, watching the family walk away. And Finn fills her in on the medical report. Um, there is two semen samples and um, like the vi and so they start talking about like the violent crime evidence in very, very detailed, very detailed um rundown. Amaro is not buying it though. As they recap it, he's not buying it. He's like, you know what? Not now. I don't. I don't get it. He's like that time of night for there not to have been even one witness. I don't buy it. And Benson is like, good. Then go canvas and see if a door guy or someone saw something. Um, and um, also they got to look at some traffic cams. So they all go do their duties. Uh, and Barbara informs Benson that Jimmy called the family and she's like, yeah, his dumbass was at the scene of the crime. But they think someone from SVU is talking to the press and she looks pressed with that news. Like, she's not happy. And we jump now to the Grand Army Plaza. Finn and Amaro are talking to a horse carriage driver. And I would say this is one of the worst dressed people in SVU history. <laughs> um, he has a brown top hat. Um, brown, like thick color and like a red sweatshirt and like a weird flannel jacket, but there's a collar that I don't know what it attaches to. Like, it's just a mess. <laughs> I, this, this horse carriage drivers, I, he, this isn't a high class one. And he says something too, doesn't he go like, yeah, just trying to get in a lot of work before the city shuts us down. I'm like, yeah, because you guys work horses to their death. Like, <laughs> just giving people rides around. Like, it doesn't feel like you have a very a profession we need to defend, but go oh, on. Oh, I thought it was because of the weather. Like, it was going to get cold. No, I think it's because they const there's constant protests to shut the horse carriage rides down. Okay, but By, like, PETA and animal groups or, like, get rid of them. Like, it's bad. I mean, has <laughs> they PETA... They shit all over the city. <laughs> has PETA achieved one thing ever in their lives outside of sensational ads? Like, 
like animals are being slaughtered. You guys are not good at your jobs. Everyone's wearing leather. Like, when do you give up? I don't know. We fucked up. I think, I don't know. We could Google PETA accomplishments, but I think they, I don't know. (laughs) They don't accomplish shit, okay? They just do wild advertising. I watched one documentary and the leader of it was just eating an Annie's frozen meal alone. Like, I don't. Well, apparently, according to this, they've convinced some of the world's largest fashion brands to stop using fur. They've gotten animal testing bans passed, like on, you know, uh, makeup products and stuff like that. Um, end of end the ending the use of animals in automobile crash tests. Holy shit! I did not know that they ever did that. That's so. They closed fucked. the circus, Barnum and Bailey Brothers Circus. I don't know. This is from an article on History.com that I just googled really quick. Okay, so they but are also, doing some stuff. Peta also has a victories page. It says, "See our latest victory," so you can see what they're up to. Okay, I I walk back on my Peta hate. Um, <laughs> so. Anyways, Amaro looks dressed amazing. Um, but this horse guy, he heard nothing. <laughs> and Jimmy Mack is fucking there. And he's talking to the hot dog guy. And he comes walking into the detectives way too familiar. And he won't share any of his information with the cops. And he assumes that the cops have nothing. And he's just so cocky. And I hate him. But, you know, I love a hot dog. So I enjoy that he's holding <laughs> it. But then he takes the biggest bite ever. And it's like, why is half... And the bun is dry. And it's just like, you see him chewing this half hot dog. And I'm like, you're an animal. Like, I don't... I hate him. And like half, like it's poking out of his mouth. Maybe we'll post the photo. Um, so then Finn is like, damn, I hope he doesn't know this to Amaro, showing him the phone. And we're back at the precinct in full team project mode. And what they were discussing was there's a surveillance video and it shows her gown being ripped and obvious damage, but it's 1.54 a.m. and she's walking towards the park. So, and she's already does not have a headscarf on. So she lied. Um, it did not happen in Central Park. And what else did she lie about, says Amaro. So we know something fucked up happened. She does look very disheveled. She looks like a ghost um, walking the empty streets, but... It's not good. It doesn't look good. As a victim, you really can't lie um, for the public opinion. Finn and Rollins are now with a swoopy 40s hairdo Melinda at work explaining, yes, she was assaulted, but not in Central Park because all the mud and stuff was on her clothes, but not in her body or on her body. And if the attack happened, she would have been dirty, but it was just her clothing. Um, She also found abrasions on knees and palms showing it was consistent with carpet burns. And uh, I love... Okay, there are really good parts in this episode. So... Yeah. Rollins acts so annoying and Melinda acts annoyed and it's the best. So Finn puts Amanda in her place and Melinda's like, thank you. I was getting to that. And I just love this moment so much. And it was basically, you know, Melinda's talking and Amanda was like, and what do we have under the fingernails and this and that? And Melinda's like, yeah, I was getting to that. And even Finn shuts her down. And I wonder, I want to know who wrote this. Like, I wonder if a black woman finally wrote, like, not finally, but I wonder (laughs) if this is our girl, Samantha Corbin or something, because this is so, like, nuanced in such an incredible way um, that, like, Amanda's fucking Atlanta dumb blonde asses, um, like, 
not trusting that this decorated medical examiner who has solved so many cases, like, wouldn't tell you, like, wouldn't look right. under the fingernails. That's, yeah, I yeah, know yeah. to look under the fingernails. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know that's the one thing you get if you get attacked. You fucking scratch people, you know? So <laughs> it was just like a cool moment. And I love seeing Ice tea have her back. And I know they've fucked before. Like, there's no way Finn and Melinda <gasps> Maybe after that fucked. Christmas party, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know if her and her husband are open or maybe they were on a break or what, but like, they have fucked. Okay, there's no way. Um, Wait, I wonder if there's Melinda Finn fanfic. Of course. Oh, yeah. Annalise, on that, please. Uh, <laughs> they'll find that so quick. Annalise uh, is very good at locating fanfiction. <laughs> Oda Finn and Melinda. Oda Linda. That's what their name is together. Oda Linda. That's so <laughs> good. Um, yeah, I just love Melinda's taking no crap. Our, like, Melinda and Finn is their fanfic. We must know. But back to business. Under their nails, of course, she found um, fibers. And they're red and gold. And it's also animal hair. So it's carpet fibers, animal hair, red and gold. And then, ugh, annoying news. Jimmy Mack is at the fucking medical examiner's office, and he used to date some of the techs. So, Ugh. like, he's just like, and Emma Linda likes that he's there too. She's like, oh, hi, you know, like everyone <laughs> happy to see Jimmy. And so now we're going to go grill Heba Salim in Jackson Heights, Queens in her home and be like, you lied. She says she was raped by two men. And they're like, okay, no, we believe you about that, but just not in the way you describe. And they reveal the security footage. She says, I was attacked by two men and says the same thing. And the mom is like, you're calling my daughter a liar. And the daughter is like, they want me to say it wasn't a hate crime. And the mom says, they're trying to like fuck with your image. And the mom kicks them out of their house and everyone is pissed. And the daughter and detective have a look like, we all know something is up. So what's, like, what are we doing here? And now we're back at the precinct and they were putting together a timeline and dissecting everything. And Barbara interrupts with the New York ledger and it says, hoax at the top, this motherfucker, Jimmy Mack. And Benson's now flying to the news offices of Jimmy Mack, who's just chilling in his office, and she is mad. And he is so rude and is like, you want me to autograph the paper for you? Ugh. They get piece into a piece of shit. Um, they get into a heated back and forth about the case. Benson explains how often victims like do omit details when disclosing at first, and he dismisses that completely. Um, he doesn't understand how the attackers knew she was from India. Like racists are ignorant. How would they even know Muslims live in India? That is a good point. Because I don't even I don't think Islam is the dominant religion in India at all. Oh no, they're trying. To, they're, it's like bad. It's like. Um, the Indian government's very anti-Muslim right now. Mm. Um, like, they're, like, m like Muslims can't get hired. It's, like, a full, um, like, bad. It's bad for Muslims in India yeah. right now. But this is a few... I didn't even... I just had... <laughs> I'm just lucky that I met someone from India recently, and we spent 10 days in Finland, so we got a lot <laughs> of information out, and I learned about the fucked-up shit that happens to Muslim people. Um, there. Um, and then he calls them mooks. And he's like, mooks like that don't attack attractive women, only towel heads behind a dumpster. And I would not say that, obviously. So please do not come for me. But what's his point? That, that if it was two racist guys, they wouldn't attack attractive women? Yeah. What? I have no idea. I mean, this is his, the like, journalist that everyone loves. Yeah, but like, it's like his line of 
train of thought isn't even like, I'm not even understanding what his point is, but go on. Sorry. Um, I think also he's a drunk. We get yeah. more tidbits of that throughout, but like he is always drinking whiskey and he might just, I mean, he's like an old, this is what old men are like. Like this is what well, old men are like. Well, they keep showing him coughing too. Yeah. The, throughout. The Moulin Rouge, you know, the Nicole yeah. Kidman little <laughs> cough, cough. The sun, the, the sateen cough. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> uh, wait, what's the new Baz Luhrmann movie coming out? Elvis oh, one? Yeah, I don't know. Elvis, Elvis, that was it. I'm not going to see it. Um, John, <laughs> but I knew I knew he was a buzz. But you know, I, I've told this before, maybe on the pod, but I did stay in a hotel in Miami that Baz Luhrmann d- decorated and designed. Oh, really? Yeah, the Faina. I mean, I took out a no-interest credit card to go to my friend's wedding, and the room on a, the discounted rate was $800 a night. <gasps> oh, my and, God. Um, all, and we were all hanging at the pool, and I realized everyone else from the wedding was, like, at other hotels, and they're like, wow, you're doing great, huh? And I was like, no, I took out a credit card to come to this wedding. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I truly wanted but... It was very Baz Luhrmann, and, and it had a Toto Japanese toilet in the room. Whoa. Yeah, it was, like, red and gorgeous. And then, did yeah, I did room service. Okay, so... Why am I talking about Baz Luhrmann? I don't even know how we got here. Um, so, anyways, I I wrote jaw on the floor with this line. It's insane. Like the the attra- the whatever. But he says towel heads like in quotes, like he's quoting racist. It's just very confusing. This whole part. But also, Heba Salim, the actress who plays her, was in the movie Towelhead. Yes, that's so cool. Um, that I remember that. Be, that's like with Aaron Eckhart, I think. So then yeah. Jimmy Mack reveals her dad was a victim of a hate crime after 9-11 and the cops didn't do anything about it. And Benson's like, yeah, okay, you're right. So then 12 and a half years later, she stages a rape to avenge what happened to her father. You're an idiot. <laughs> That makes no sense. Get uh, real. This girl was attacked. And he calls Benson a sob sister and says the victim had a couple of drinks and had sex and conflated the story, yada, yada, all the classic stuff about how women are lying about being raped. They know that this is fake, right? All the people, like, why Why is it always that's the defense? Like, she just fucked someone and regretted it. Like, how often are women regretting fucking? Like, I don't even, I don't get it. Look, you regret it and you're like, move on and just make sure you didn't get pregnant or whatever. Like, I don't think you, like, in what world is it easier to regret sex and bring up a criminal case than it is to just move on with your life if you regret sex? Yeah, I don't know. I just That's what makes no sense. I want to know the history of this defense. Like, how did this come about that it's like, oh, she just feels guilty. It's like, well, what? it's also well, it's also it's all it's about slut shaming. You know, it's like you had sex with somebody and then other people found out and so you were like, no, it was an attack. Like I, Got you know, it. I would not have had sex with that person, you know? Yeah. So it's like that makes to sense. preempt people finding out or whatever. Yeah, in my head it was like a bunch of defense attorneys like having a little meeting on what to how to attack rape yeah. victims. What but, if? <laughs> but no, what you said makes sense. So uh, Benson is like the medical reports prove rape, and he then says, "But there's no evidence of the stone walls, right?" Everyone is just like spilling to this con man and she looks disgusted at him and was like, who gave you that report? And he straight up was like, go fuck yourself. Get out of my wa- like office and starts talking about the First Amendment and she storms off. Like he's not going to give his sources over who said that there was no evidence of the stone wall. Like 
or the dirt and stuff like that. Rollins and Amaro are back at Heba's house. Um, and the brother answers and says, we're on her side. We just want to know the truth so we can help her. And the father runs aggressively to the door to yell at the cops. Um, or it could be the other brother. I actually don't remember. Dad's brothers. It's just a lot of men. I think it is the father, but he does look young. Yeah. And now they show the iPad to the dad and brother. And the brother legit looks shocked to see these photos and what's happening. Um, and so he's like, oh, fuck. He says he left early, but asked someone he worked with to keep an eye on her. And he looks really, really sad. Um, and we go to the real estate offices uh, to talk to this coworker that the brother asked to, like, keep an eye out. Um, she's heavy on the makeup. She um, looks like Evie from Top Model. If you know, you know. Um, and she has hairdresser energy layers and she's blonde and it pans out and she's talking to Amaro and Finn and they're like, were you watching her? And she's like, I mean, there was over 250 guests to look after. I did my best. And they ask if she left with anyone and she says no, but it gives off lying. Um, and then two douche whites walk in. And she tells them they're here to talk about Heba. And he goes, oh, terrible. It's terrible. So they ask, they start asking him more questions. But before they're allowed to enter his office, they have to take their shoes off because he's a neat freak. And guess what? Boom. They enter the office, red and yellow rug. Red and yellow. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> Finn makes a point to say, wow, what a beautiful rug and view. Just a very heavy-handed clue. Um, he says that he barely saw her and he doesn't know how he could be of help. Uh, but the questions happen. He says he would give up the guest list info. He has no issue with that. Um, but he's like, listen, people paid 10 grand a table to be here, so I'm sure they didn't notice some volunteer. Uh, Finn says it's just routine. And he says, so you think she really got attacked? The paper said she was lying. And Amaro looks at him, sexy and suspicious. Uh, Finn is like, we're just talking. Um, and they ask um, his whereabouts. He says he left the party to come do work in the office and that he had a, like, a call with Hong Kong. And Finn, I love this. Uh, Finn is like a superstar in this episode to me. He goes, wait, I don't know how time works. Is Hong Kong in front or behind us? And the real estate douche like gets what's happening. He knows he's kind of a little bit caught. And is like, nice try. But... He's still arrogant. He knows that they're onto him, but he is arrogant. The office does have nice views. So, of course, you're going to feel good about yourself. So, <laughs> now it's... Oh, my God. I did Lisa Ann's podcast. She's, like, um, one of the biggest porn stars ever. Like, a classic MILF situation. Oh, uh-huh. She's, like, 50 and now retired, but she's... Um, like a podcaster and a sports analyst. And, like, she's a badass. And I met her years ago doing this Brazzers roast, but... She logged on and I, the view of her apartment's incredible. It's like all of Manhattan is behind her. And I go, holy shit, your view's incredible. And she goes, yeah, I didn't sell my pussy for nothing. What do you think I did all those years? And I was like, you're right, bitch. <laughs> you're right. Um, but she's so rich and very, it. very cool. And she also, I told her I was like really bad with money. She goes, well, what do you spend your money on? I go, I don't know, like travel, this and that. She goes, travel is never a waste of money. And I go, well, thanks for ruining my future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Um, so anyways, back from Lisa Ann, but listen to her. She's like the, one of the most badass people ever in the world. Um, so now it's office time. And this episode, Benson is um, very Cragen, crossing guard style, just so much assigning, pointing, breaking down. And in this meeting, it's the classic, like, we need more evidence. We need more evidence. It can't just be the color of the carpet. And guess what? They don't need a warrant or anything because they were forced to take their shoes off. So the carpet fibers are on Finn's socks. 
So that's exciting. And the socks are already off to Warner. Let's go. And it makes sense why um, she lied and didn't want to say it was her brother's boss um, because this guy does seem very rich and powerful. So the story is kind of getting put together. So we get the security footage from the building and dig into his past, but please be discreet is um, the direction we are given. As the detectives leave her office, Hank Abraham, the pedophile, walks in. (laughs) He's there to be a dick and accuse SVU of a leak. And are there even leads um, to keep this open? And Benson is standing up for her squad uh, when Rollins interrupts and goes, you gotta see this. And it's New York One. Shout out Allison Libby's favorite news channel. And it's Reverend Curtis Scott, and he's doing a press conference. And he's calling them out on all the things, like, and Jimmy and 1PP. And they're like, don't trust SVU. And he's just blaming SVU hard for doing a terrible, terrible job. So Jimmy MacArthur goes face-to-face with the Reverend and says, then why is the victim not here right now to speak on this? And it's like, fuck you. What does she owe you? Like, she's done all this, and then you need her to parade around in front of an audience. Like, I think people really underestimate what it takes to, like, speak about what happened to you. And it's so fucking annoying. At a press conference? It's so fucking annoying to demand that. They're just establishing him as, like, a full pig, though. Like, he's horrible. Yeah, like, what? She just got raped? Then come on out here on the court steps in front of an audience and prove it. Like, oh, I hate him. I hate him so much. He then says, this is just another Tawana Brawley. The real, and I think that's the real-life crime, right? So that's, you know, I do like when that happens, um, when they reference the real crime. And the Reverend is like, where is your compassion? And Jimmy MacArthur screams, she lied. And Reverend and the protesters start the no justice, no peace chant. And then, oh my God, it's Questlove's big moment. Um, He's like a really big fan of the show and he really wanted to be a dead body. And so he is the slab of a body in front of Melinda and he has a bullet hole like in his head. And I remember this like going around big on social media like before it came out. So when I saw it in that episode, I was like, there's Questlove. Like, it was huge. Yeah, it was very, very thrilling. And, oh my God, I think we're having another Rollins moment. Okay. So, Melinda, meanwhile, is revealing to Finn and Amanda that carpet fibers match what was found under Heba's nails. And Rollins says, are you sure? Melinda says, you know you ask me this every time. And she says, no, I don't. And Finn stands up for his booty call and says, yes, you do. It's just, like, so good. It, there's honestly, like, a racist subtext here that Amanda's racist. But it's just so... It's just perfect. And I... Yeah, do you think... It, yeah, is it that there's Amanda's just a race, There's, like, a racist subtext that she's she's playing it so calm, being like, you always question my work. And she's like, no, I don't. And Finn's like, you actually do. Like, I just think... The way that they have these characters set up this way, like, to me, it's like, Amanda, I think you just need to, like, check yourself a little bit how you're talking to this woman. Like, who is but I fe- incredible at her job. Yeah, yeah. You would be nowhere without Melinda Warner. Yeah. But I like Finn standing up for her. It's just, like, really, really, yeah. like, hot. I don't know. I like it. She that Melinda then goes, yes, I'm sure. Um, and it was goat and camel hair. And so I think this is a goat and camel hair rug. Like, I didn't even know that's a thing. (laughs) I think because it's so expensive. I don't think you're getting it at Urban Outfitters, you know? No, but like, is goat fun to walk on? I've pet a goat. I bet it's it's soft. No, it's not. Have you never pet a goat? I've pet goats. Have you pet a goat? Yeah. I thought they were soft. You think they're soft? 
Maybe I maybe, maybe I'm thinking of their little floppy ears or soft. Maybe I was just with like some gross ass goats and you've got <laughs> higher class goats. No, no, no. But I think sometimes it, it's like you can treat it and do other shit. I don't know. But also people like harsh rugs. Like when people have those jute rugs that literally feel like knives on your feet. I don't understand how people have those. But people have I different wouldn't even have a rug unless you fo- you forced your rug upon me. You were like, you need a rug. I go, I'm not really a rug person. You go, you're taking the rug. And now I have a rug, but I don't know about rugs. I thought you might want that rug. You don't, if you don't want it, I'll get rid of it for you. No, it's perfect. I'm glad to have a rug. I'm now <laughs> in, like, I love having this rug, but I'm just saying like, I don't, th- I just don't know about rugs. We're talking about this specific rug yeah, and the yeah, purse. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I know Persian rugs because that's like a famous word, you know? Like, <laughs> But I wonder if some Persian rugs involve goat and camel hair. Yeah, but so there's a park in Chicago back in the day. Was it Lunt or Pratt? But it's it was a wooden playground, but they had animals at the park in cages and you can just go in and play with the goats at the park. Mm, you don't seem impressed. That's amazing. <laughs> no, I love that. Have you, I, I mean, my friends have done goat yoga too. I refuse. I'm not doing a gimmick. That's not true. I am a trend whore, but I'm not doing that. <laughs> Rollins, what, they're... There are goat hair Persian rugs. Okay, cool. People yeah. are walking. But I wonder if they... Tr- okay, I don't... I, this is confusing to me, but I'm glad that the <laughs> goat and cow... Because I don't... I've ridden a camel too, but I don't remember... I haven't. That's exciting. Well, you didn't go on birthright because you're a fool. You were too busy That's at true. summer camp. Like you No, just, I was an idiot. You're an idiot. I blame myself. There's even later, there was like an older birthright you could go on. And I still miss that one. I thought maybe I'll go on that one. And then I just didn't. Well, yeah, because then I extended my trip for weeks and I kept just asking my parents for more money. And they're like, yeah, great free vacation you got. Because I just like, (laughs) I kept being like, please, I need to stay at this Sheraton. Like, I was just like a nightmare (laughs) after. Okay. They've really enabled me in terrible, terrible ways. Um, So we know that there's goat and camel hair. We've talked about this way too long. And now we're watching the footage from the office. Rollins is leading the presentation. We see the tuxedo bros enter an elevator at 12.05. Then 10 minutes later, Heba shows up. And one and a half hours later, she is post-assault leaving. So there's no hoax. So to us, it's like, why make any of this up? Like, what's going on? And maybe she didn't want to reveal to her parents that she went to that office with two men. We can speculate all we want, but we need Heba and she is not going to talk and her credibility is shot. Um, So we know who, what, and where. So let's just build a case without her for now. So we cut to Finn and Amaro at the real estate office and the girl is running behind them like, no, you can't go in there, Uh, which is a secretary's dream to be able to do that, I think. And they bust in and he says, excuse me, and yells at Janelle and the office girl's like, I tried. And um, he changed the carpet. And they're like, wow, you redecorated, huh? And they have warrants for DNA swabs. So they're like, open your mouths. The blonde guy is like, she's a liar. It's all over the news. And long brunette says, shut up. And they take the swabs and they have no choice. There's a warrant. And since they're not- Yeah, that brunette has like a wet look to his hair that I don't enjoy. Yeah, no. Uh, Wet long hair, not a a pro. And since they're not under arrest, the detectives leave and it's time for lawyer games. Finn is with Buchanan and long hair and is like, we didn't really- Realize redecorating was a crime. And Finn goes, oh no, we're good. We have the rug fibers and his DNA. So we're fine. And Buchanan goes, that was consensual sex. She lied. And it's like, if it was, then why wouldn't they say that to begin with? Like, 
Yeah. Finn goes, okay, then why didn't she just tell us that? And Heba's brother works for us and that the family's old world and she didn't want to humiliate them by telling them the truth, yada, yada. LeBlanc says tomorrow, it was a wild night, you know, when these repressed girls let go. It's a, it's go time. And Amaro's like, so the three of you were just partying? And he's like, yeah, oh my God, like get it. It was awesome. And then he goes, we just Eiffel Towered her. And then he kind of like claps a little bit. And then the lawyer's like, stop talking about Eiffel Towering, you psycho. Um, we're at the SVU offices. Like you can't talk about um, Eiffel Towering in this way. Yeah. So Amaro asks like how long? And they said after a couple of hours, she freaked out and ran home like Cinderella. And we immediately go to the leather seats of Benson's office with Heba and the Reverend. And she says, I would never. And Benson and Barb are like, duh, of course we believe you that you wouldn't choose to get railed that night by these guys. Uh, but we got to know what really happened. And she's just like, I'm not going against the Kent family. I can't. Like, they're so, they're so powerful. Um, and then it's like, I, I had to lie. It's like my parents, my brother, my brother's job. That's why I lied about the park. I thought it would just be chiller for everybody if it wasn't this like extremely powerful, rich real estate family. And Benson is pleading with her, like, clear your name and take the stand. And she's scared nobody will believe her, you know, obviously. And Benson goes on a justice brigade. A reverend says, we hear you and we will talk about it with her family. And Benson turns to Barba and goes, she's right. I mean, the Kent's team will destroy her on the stand. Is there any way to get a case without her? And Barba says, no. And these guys are charismatic and hot. And Benson's like, yeah, I know. And then Barba all, um, has like another paper with bullshit from Jimmy written about Heba. And Benson tells Barba that one PP gave him full access. And Barba gets suspicious. Like, what? The Kent family owns the paper. So within 24 hours of the rape, the ledger gets full access and starts bashing Heba. Like there's something going on here. So conspiracy theory, let's go, bitch. I'm excited. This is going to be like a great <laughs> fucking, you know, ending. So I, I just hope we can catch everybody. So we're now seeing Alec Baldwin pouring a glass of brown liquor, going full Eileen Beverly Hills housewife, like, beast, how dare you? I would <laughs> never do that shit. You beast. <laughs> beast, how dare I mean, it's about... So my friend Alex was in Amsterdam and, like, texted me being like, I'm at the place where that happened. So if we're ever oh my in Amsterdam gosh. together, we have to yes. go um, to the scene of the crime. <laughs> and throw a wine glass at each other, yeah. I wonder how many people go there to, like, reenact <laughs> that scene. <laughs> Don't you say anything about Harry Hamlin. Go on. <laughs> So um, he goes, be like, you know, how dare you? I would never do that shit for the Kemp family. Like you're fucking out of your mind. And he says he writes for the regular man. You know, that game. I'm a regular guy. Yeah. Why do we like regular guys so much? Like, I don't get it. Why don't you try to be spectacular? <laughs> she says, yeah, yeah, shut up. I get it. And he goes, no, I will not shut up. If I wanted to sell out, I could have done it a long time ago. And then um, says he should throw Benson out of there. But also with him, it's like, if you are a good journalist, why wouldn't you investigate this further? Like, you just think this devout Muslim woman took a turn and decided to, like, do a DP with these guys? Like, yeah. it just doesn't make any sense. So it's like, you're also a terrible journalist. If you're not being bought and doing favors, then, like, you're also not that good at your job. You're not yeah. investigating. So then he says, if that prick did do it, um, I would have written about it 
because it's a hell of a story. And Benson's like, well, then write it. And he responds, bring her here. I have her tell me the story and I'll think of writing it. And she's like, why would she trust you um, after everything that you've done? And uh, she's like, you're out of your mind if you think Heba wants to come talk to you after all of these fucked up paper, like headlines that you've written about her. Um, He breathes deep and says something like, how does he get more and more vile throughout this episode? But he goes, no, she won't sit down with me because she knows I'll see right through her. Just like I see right through you. You fucked up this investigation and now you want me to clean it up for you? And she's like, this is not what this is. And then he says, you can get down on your knees till they are raw. It's not going to change my mind. Cool, bro. Yeah, you're just the regular good guy. Like, it's the most, ugh, perfect, perfectly cast. Yeah. And I just can't (laughs) wait till he gets screwed over. And she just says, wow. Wow, Bethany. Wow. Don't (laughs) flatter yourself, pal. And he says, good night. It's time to go because you are boring me and that's the greatest sin of all. (laughs) And she walks out like... Sorry, I just hate him. Okay, my favorite moment is when the squad watches TV together and that is what they're doing and it's Katie Couric and she's talking about the trial of Elias Kent. And Katie is with Jimmy Mack and they talk and I hate this and he said, I could tell she was lying from the jump and the detective should have read my column and listened to it. He says they didn't drop it because of vanity and pride and he's like, whatever happened here, it wasn't rape. It's all a hoax. And this reminds me very much of like the Trump with the Central Park Five. Like, how can you be so wrong and confident? I don't understand. Like, you don't know anything. And, okay, so then also, like, I don't think I've seen this episode very many times because Alec Baldwin bothers me so much. So, like, this was exciting. Like, I didn't know how this was going to end. Um, so it was it was like a really fun rewatch. Um, So now we're in trial. Uh, Rollins is taking the stand and she's talking about how she staged the crime scene. Um, But the medical evidence and contusions and injuries are real. Buchanan comes up to be an asshole and brings up consensual sex. And Rollins is like, nah, not with these injuries. He brings up the rug burn and the cuts and the reverend's leaning in. So I assume something's about to get twisted unfairly. And Finn is now on the stand going through the video footage. And basically, like, Elias lied about knowing Heba, so he's not trustworthy. But Buchanan... Cannon is like, then how credible is Heba? She lied to. Like, you're using my client's lies to discredit him, and yet your client lied and is credible. So that is a good one. That's why Buchanan does get paid the big bucks. So finally, Mm. Heba's on the stand. She explains, Elias was very nice the night of the benefit and brought her a glass of champagne, which was her first glass of champagne she's ever drank in her life. She does not drink. He then invited her to an after party in his office where she could, in quote, like, meet a lot of fun new people. So she said yes to the invite. She said when she got there, she realized there was no party. It was just him, and he gave her another glass of champagne. Um, she said others were, and he told her, like, oh, other people are on their way. And then Blondie Mike came in and locked the door, and Elias pulled off her hijab and pinned arms behind her back and started biting her neck. And then she describes the rest of the attack in horrific details. She said that she tried to get away, but they were, um, like, very strong and she couldn't. And while she continues to describe... um, 
like this, like being slapped and the rest of the story, the camera shows Benson and Jimmy Mac like staring at each other across the aisle of the audience seats in the courtroom. So she's staring his ass down and she's pissed as fuck and they just keep making eye contact. And then it cuts back to Heba saying how they told her to shut up and then sodomizing and raping, obviously. Okay. So Barbara brings up the fact that she was a virgin and she says yes and that it was very painful. And they laughed and high-fived each other. And when they were done, she asked if she could have her hijab back and he wiped himself off with it and threw it in the trash. Like, these are like the most twisted pricks so ever. Fucked. These are sickos. These are true sickos. Money, like, people should not be allowed to be rich and be born into wealth because this is what happens. They have, like, no yeah. joy or, and, like, they, like, it is so fucking weird. So Buchanan says that's a very disturbing story and we know he's about to fully enter the douche Olympics with Alec Baldwin in this episode. <laughs> like, who do you hate more? Um, and he says almost as disturbing as the first story you told. And while he's going at her to discredit her, Benson and Jimmy keep staring at each other. So they're on the stand and he's just being very willfully ignorant and he points to her and yells, you're a very good liar. And Barba objects and Buchanan withdraws. He then just goes and sits down. So he just wanted to like prove that she's a liar and that's that. The rich boys look so cocky and Heba has a steady stream of tear rolling down her cheek. Very talented actress. And Baldwin is staring trying to figure out like his own demons and like what part that he played in all of this. And now it's like courthouse hallway time. Benson is comforting the victim with a circle and it's like Amaro, the reverend, and everyone is surrounding her while Jimmy watches from across the room um, with his like journalist notepad out. Benson walks to him while her hair bounces and says to Jimmy, are you happy now? He says, well, certainly it wasn't boring. Puke. I hate him. Yeah. She was telling the truth in there and he says, you lack confidence in the jury and she's like, duh, bitch, they all read your fucking columns and now those two sons of bitches are gonna walk because of you. He says, what do you want from me? Like, why are you so mad at me? Come on, leave me alone. Classic white guy. <laughs> like, now all of a sudden it's like, what, I'm being canceled? Why am I being canceled? <laughs> um, so he just feels like he's the victim of all of this even though he's caused truly all of these problems. Um, she says, I want want a retraction and he giggles and she's like you know that she was raped and he says he doesn't retract or apologize or explain perfect caricature yeah and he talks about himself in third person too he's like jimmy mac doesn't apologize jimmy mac doesn't print retractions it's like you're yeah a legend in your own mind yeah very seinfeld she does well, well you know that episode with the jimmy yeah. okay yeah. um and i just don't want people thinking seinfeld whatever <laughs> So Benson does another like, wow. And so that's that. The great Jimmy Mack. It's all gone to your head, hasn't it? The awards, the long nights at Elaine's, the celebrity. And he goes, and don't forget the Knicks tickets. And she says, it's sad. You used to have a conscience. You used to be good. But now you're not a reporter anymore, Jimmy. You're just like them. And he starts to cough really hard. <laughs> but also... Are you impressed that I said conscience? You noticed that, right? Yes. Thank you. Okay. I didn't have any problems saying that word at this no time. No problem. First <laughs> attempt. Yeah. After dozens of episodes, I've learned how to say conscience. Um, she says you should think about laying off the sauce. So then they separate. 
And somehow Benson is flipping through uh, like a book in her office. And it's like, what book is that girl? Like, what are you looking at? <laughs> like, it's been a stressful day. Um, Amaro runs in and says, you're not going to believe this. I don't know what you put in his drink, but he has seen the light. And he's holding the paper and it says penthouse rape. And then Benson goes, oh, how Jimmy Mack got played. And they thought that they would get away with it because they have money and power. And why would they not? Um, but he goes on to write that with their connections at 1PP, they fooled the reporter and played his ass. But obviously, he won't reveal any of his sources with who helped him do that. Um, but he lobbed a, a giant grenade. And so now we're back in court. And the jury foreman is like, I know you said not to read any articles, but the headline was right in front of the courthouse steps. And the judge is like, and then you proceeded to read the article? And he goes, yes, a few of them were talking about it. And then a bunch of hands go up after the judge is like, who read the column this morning? And a lot of the jury read it. Um, so Buchanan's like, this is prejudicial about my clients and slanderous. We can't do it. And Barbara stands up and is like, yeah, but the articles against my client, everyone read those and that was allowed, but this is suddenly a problem. And the judge says, nice try, but the jury didn't listen to me and I have to declare a mistrial. Fuck. <sighs> And Buchanan is like, do you have time for a cup of coffee? And I wonder if that's like gossip or to gloat or like what's happening with this coffee invite. I'm not really sure. But instead, it goes, uh, it cuts to Barba and Benson doing a walk and talk about hopefully a new trial date. So then what's happening is Elias, the brunette, is blaming the blonde hair man um, and turning him in. And so they just, like, it's a pointing finger situation and they're trying to plead out to a lesser charge that only has, like, one year max time. So the blonde gets five to 15 years. Um, the super rich guy only gets, like, one year max. But they do both go on the registry. And Barba is like, that's all I could do, dude. Like, I'm sorry. And they're like, is Heba going to be okay with this? So they go to visit her and she's not wearing a head covering anymore. Her hair's out and she's just like a fully changed woman. They apologize to her as she's cooking and they're filling her in and apologizing, but saying how it's better than another trial because like she doesn't have to testify, but they're really sorry. And she says, whatever. I assumed it was part of the settlement. Twist. Rollins asks, what settlement? And Rollins is still um, in a banana clip during this. Like, she's been messy bunning the whole episode. So, yeah, Heba can't really talk about anything until after the trial and, like, the offer. But, you know, she's pissed. But as far as her parents are concerned, she's already lost all her honor, so she doesn't give a shit. And at least with the settlement money now, her brother can go back and get his MBA. And it's like, why do you care about your brothers so much? Like, you just it's got not her, though. Up. It's her family. Like, they're going to take the settlement money and they're going to give it to her fucking brother. Like, like it's, it's all about the men and the family, you know? It's like, I don't think it's Heba. She's like, well, I guess at least not. I mean, that's like how she was raised. Yeah. You know? It's sad. That's why religion is poison. We're now <laughs> at a bar with Jimmy and Benson. And I think she's way too nice to him. Like, one good deed. The flip back up. is like, he didn't do enough. Sorry. Mm-mm. Like the flip of him and that her becoming like besties at the end, like kind of pisses me off. It pisses but. me off. She should have like yeah. spit on him. But it's yeah. like a unwind recap, late night drink. And he talks about the big mouse getting the cheese, but Elias is on the wheel now. And Benson's like, how is that? Alec Baldwin takes out a folded paper and says, this will be my last column for the ledger. 
It's about a month in the life of Elias and how he raped a girl and pinned it on his best friend and wrote a check and his dad um, called the publisher asking to keep his kids' names out of the paper. And Benson's like, are you sure you want to do that? It's like, yes, why do you care about him? He doesn't care about anyone. (laughs) He like derailed a full investigation and terrorized a rape victim. Um, And he's like, yes, anytime anyone Googles his name, this article's gonna come up. People need to know the truth. um, And no matter how much PR he gets or anything, he is toast because this article will trump everything when you Google him. And then she's like, where are you going to go? And he's and it's, again, why do you care? He sucks. (laughs) Um, And he does some kind of poem about how he always lands on his feet while talking in third person. Um, He's 55. Journalism is dead. He has three ex-wives that hate him. His credit cards are all maxed out because of his three kids. And Benson is shaking her head. And then he starts coughing and he says, I never felt better in my life. And Benson laughs and he's like, I said my piece and the whole world knows I got balls the size of Jupiter again. And they cheers to Jupiter and she nods. And then they have one more drink and she switches from wine to some brown liquor with him. And that's the end. And I'm not saying Dick Wolf baby because I fucking hate the ending. <laughs> it doesn't deserve a Dick Wolf baby. No. Um, yeah, it's... But he didn't do enough. Now he's just going to go write a book. He's going to... Is he going to go back on Katie Couric and apologize to Heba? Like, what, you know, what's happening? Ugh, anyway, a frustrating episode. We will be back with some crime. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shock family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Okay, we are back. This episode is inspired partially by the case of Tawana Brawley, which uh, I believe he references like two or three times throughout this episode. So we can be pretty sure that we're correct here. So do you know about this case, Lisa? No. Oh, okay. So in November of 1987, Tawana Brawley, a 15-year-old African-American, went missing from her home in Wappingers Falls, New York, which is a town near the Hudson, like on the Hudson, 50 miles north of New York City. Um, Population, about 5,000 white people and 100 black people. Um, And so 
her family's definitely a minority in their town. She lived there with her mother and her stepfather. So her stepfather is a guy named Ralph King and her mother's name is Glenda Brawley. But Ralph, her stepfather, has like a very violent past. He had gone to jail for murdering his last wife. I mean, it was manslaughter. He only did seven years. I have no idea what panned out in that case, but he like was not a not a stepfather that sh- that you would want. And he had a temper. He screamed at Tawana all the time. So just to talk a little bit about who Tawana is, most people described her as really friendly and smart, like not a drug user, not a troublemaker. Police did say that earlier that year in the summer, she had gotten picked up for shoplifting and she had once run away from home. But it's like, okay, I used to shoplift all the time and who would not run away from home with like a shitty stepdad waiting for you at home? So that doesn't seem to me like she's any kind of bad kid in any way. So um, before her disappearance, she had gotten a call that her former boyfriend, a 17-year-old named Todd Buxton, who was serving a six-month sentence for firing a gun at another person that he wanted to see her. So on the day she disappeared, she did skip school to go see him at Orange County Jail in Goshen. And she was going to travel there with Todd's mom, who later said in interviews that Tawana's behavior seemed kind of weird. Like, like she said she'd always been, they all really liked her, the family, that she'd always been this like friendly, cheerful, happy girl. And that like when she first got to the house to go to the prison with them, she was like very subdued, not cheerful like she normally was. But then like later, she would be like super excited and bouncing around and like, like manic energy. So like they just reported that her moods were kind of swinging wildly. And they went to visit Todd together um, on the bus, kind of uneventful. She went to go visit Todd. And then uh, when she returned home later with his family that day, and then she hung out at her ex-boyfriend's house for a while with his family. And they were like, yeah, she didn't seem in any hurry to get home. She also like refused any food or drink, like, no juice, nothing. And um, they just said she wasn't acting like herself. That's what Todd's mom said. She mentioned that Tawana was also talking about wanting to leave home and possibly move in with the Buxtons like into Todd's room until he got home from jail. Um, So eventually she did leave and she took the bus back to Wappingers Falls and she got off the bus around 8.45 and had about a mile long walk home. And that is when she disappeared. So her family did get concerned when she didn't come home that night. Her mom called around and friends said, oh no, she wasn't at school today. And so then Tawana's aunt Juanita went to the Newburgh police to report her missing. So four days later on November 28th, she was found in a garbage bag near an apartment. No, alive, alive, alive. Okay. She was found in a garbage bag near an apartment building that her family had recently been evicted from about two weeks earlier. So her jeans were burned. She was not, but there were burn marks on her clothes. She was also found not wearing the clothes that she went missing in, and nobody really knows where these new clothes came from. And there were pieces of her hair cut off, and her body had feces smeared on it, which was later identified as non-human and most likely dog shit. And she was taken to the ER where they found the words KKK and the N-word written on her torso with either charcoal or a felt tip pen. So at first she was unresponsive. She was like completely dazed, but they did a they did a drug test on her and said she was not under the influence of any narcotics. So she was just in full shock. And she mostly communicated with um doctors and police with head nods, shoulder shrugs, writing notes down, like she wouldn't talk. So apparently the interview lasted 20 minutes, during which time she uttered only one word, which was neon. I don't, I didn't even find out what the context of that was. But eventually through her family 
and a combination of written notes and stuff like that, she was able to tell the investigators her story, which was kind of vague. And it was that on her walk home, a dark car pulled over, the passenger got out and dragged her into the back seat. Her family said that the man grabbed her by her hair and pulled her into the car. You're going to see as we go further that the family's stories and her stories do not always match up. Like the family definitely was speaking out in ways that are not always corroborated by her, at least publicly. So that's part of the problem, it feels like, with her believability is that her family is giving like all these accounts, but like she's the only reliable witness because she's the only one that was there. So they said that Tawana fought back and screamed for her parents and for the police, but that the passenger man said that he was a police officer. Tawana described this man as a white man with sandy blonde hair and a light brown mustache. She said he seemed tall and was older than high school age, and he wore a badge and a black or blue jacket and a holster. She had no clear description at all of the driver of the car. She said that the passenger struck her on the head, but it's unclear whether this was from a hand or an object. Tawana said that the next thing she knew, she was in a wooded area where at least one other man and possibly more men were waiting. And she couldn't say how long she was in the car or where the wooded area was. The the exact number of men is like, a mystery still. She indicated to investigators that there were more than three. And then her aunt Juanita was like, it's six. There were two men in the car and four men in the woods. So uh, allegedly it's this group of six men. And she said that they sexually assaulted her. And then uh, later, she initially said she had been raped, but then a state investigator said that when a doctor asked her if there was a rape, she shook her head no. But her families and lawyers have said that she was raped and sodomized repeatedly by her captors. So I don't know whether she's in shock, she's changing her story, it's not true. It's like, it's all very vague. Um, She was also hit and she whispered to her aunt to tell the investigators that one of the men had urinated in her mouth. And the family also said she was like knocked out cold for a lot of it or something. So when this case surfaced, it really blew up like... uh, You know, the Black community was very much behind Tawana. Bill Cosby offered a $25,000 reward for information on the case. Don King pledged $100,000 towards Tawana's education. So then in December, like a month after the attack, more than 1,000 people, um, including Louis Farrakhan, the leader of the Nation of Islam, marched in the streets of Newburgh, New York, which is like the closest, I believe, small city near where she lives. Um, And that was like all to support her. So there's like this big march of a thousand people. So then three prominent figures attached themselves to this case in support of Tawana. And I believe this is like what they're trying to do with Leslie Odom Jr. in the episode. Like they became like the advocates, like the surrogate for these families. So these three people were high profile civil rights attorneys, C. Vernon Mason and Alton Maddox. And then community activist Al Sharpton, who I think many of us have heard of. So they claimed that state government officials, the Ku Klux Klan, the Irish Republican Army, and the mafia had all conspired with the U.S. government. And this was all part of a huge cover-up. There was also a lot of criticism from the Black community about how Tawana was being treated by the press. Like, photos taken of her at the hospital were leaked and published. Her name was revealed despite the fact that she's a minor. Um, And she was, like, left with her mother and stepfather and advisors instead of given protection by the state. Like, CPS was not, like, didn't help her get mental health and other services that she could have used. And um, I, you know, I think their point was, like, a white victim would have been treated very differently. 
So back to Tawana, a rape kit was done on her, but it found no evidence of sexual assault of any kind had occurred. But the doctors did say the tests they do may not have detected sexual acts that occurred days earlier. So she's been gone for four days. If she was attacked on her first day and spent three days, it's possible that there's not as much evidence to support her story. There was also no exposure. She claimed that she was out there for four days in the woods with these men. There was no evidence of exposure to the elements like you would have expected she would have had hypothermia. It's November in upstate New York. Like she would have been, she would have had signs of hypothermia, being cold. There was no evidence that she had been hit, no evidence that she'd been deprived of food. And she could provide no names or descriptions of her assailants except for the one passenger with the light blonde hair and the and the light mustache or whatever. So um investigators later went back to the pavilion apartments where she was found, her former home, and they found there a denim jacket and pants that they believed were hers in the washing machine. They found parts of that clothing had been smeared with feces, and they also found fragments of hair clippings and residues of, residue of burnt clothing. So, like, it looked like the jeans she found had been scorched, meaning, like, that they were probably hung over a fire or a stove to dry, And that's when they got burned. Like, her body was not burned. There were a lot of, like, things happening, like, on third... Like, one person testified or or a witness testified that on Thursday of that week... So, she went missing on a Tuesday. So, two days in on that Thursday, which was Thanksgiving, this person said he saw Tawana on Thanksgiving Day and, like, looked out his window and saw her alone, like, kind of trying to sneak into her old apartment and said she was acting very strange. Um, He told the New York Times, quote, she was kind of cradled against the building over there. It looked like maybe she was looking for somebody or was looking in the apartment. She was kind of creeping along the wall. It's the kind of thing you notice and the kind of thing you remember. It looked like she went in. Her hair looked like she had slept in it, like she had just woken up. So a second resident of that complex also reported seeing her there in that four-day time period. So people were saying it was possible she spent a night or two at the old apartment because she would have had a key because the family just got evicted from it like two weeks earlier. And so her attorneys fully denied this. But, you know, after months of investigations, there was no evidence found to corroborate her account, no arrests, no suspects, and no one knew what happened other than Tawana and she is silent. Her lawyers and advisors told her not to cooperate because they were not sure that she could get justice. And... Um, one official, one state criminal justice official told the New York Times, quote, I believe that the story was as given was false, but that somebody did something to her. Like the way she was found was so, like she was in such like a traumatic state that like there's just people are like something happened, you know? So here's some sketchy things that went down after. When investigators first arrived at the scene when Tawana was found, a postman reported that he saw a gray car with several white men inside it near near the pavilion building. Later, he's changed and said, no, there was white and black men in the car. But some of the car's license plate numbers were seen, and these were later found to coincide with a car owned by Harry Christ Jr., a 28-year-old part-time Fishkill town police officer. Okay? Harry Christ Jr. died by suicide four days after Brawley was found. So he became a suspect. And the Dutchess County ADA named Steve Pagonis, I think, 
or Pagones, I don't really don't know. Stephen Pagones, a Dutchess County ADA, tried to establish an alibi for Chris, saying, no, we were together during that time period, like he wasn't part of this. And then Sharpton, Maddox, and Mason, the trio that's representing Tawana, said that Chris and Pagones were two of the rapists. So the New York Times reported that based on Chris' suicide note, that he had taken his own life because his girlfriend had ended their relationship and because he was upset that he was unable to become a state trooper. He had failed the state trooper's exam. I just am not buying that, but, you know, whatever. Like, that's what they're, they're saying is the reason. And that's like what his note said, apparently. So another person who came under scrutiny was a 20-year-old guy named Tommy Mask. M-A-S-C-H, Mask? Mask? I don't know how you would say that. Mask. He's a blonde man with a slight mustache who drives a former police car and works as a mechanic near the spot where Brawley was taken, where was said to have been abducted. Um, and he carries what looks like a police badge and is known as a police buff, which, red flag. He associates with uh, firefighters and police officers and like always turns up at accidents and fires. He's like an ambulance chaser kind of for like crime, you know? But this guy passed a polygraph, which I thought didn't count. I thought that those didn't work. But he passed a polygraph. And according to investigators, he was, quote, the epitome of cooperation. I don't know why that gets this guy off the hook. He seems like just, if he's such a buff, he probably taught himself how to pass a poly. But anyway... In talking to the New York Times, Tommy Mask said he had nothing to do with Brawley's episode, but declined to say whether he knew her. He said he was at a birthday party the night of the 24th, but declined to detail his movements over the four days and said, uh, quote, the authorities know where I was. There was also suspicion around the Dutchess County Sheriff, Mr. Skoralik is his name, after Tawana wrote a note when or when she was first being interviewed and was only writing notes. And the note said, apparently, I want him dead, period. I want Skoralik, period. So there was all kinds of suspicion around this guy as well, but none of it really went anywhere. And a lot of people thought that Mason, Maddox, and Sharpton were using this case for political gain. They told Tawana not to cooperate and were basically daring authorities to put her in jail. And um, the state police investigator, Robert Schraff, told the New York Times, quote, even if someone came in this minute to confess, we still wouldn't be able to solve this case. We can't solve it until we hear from the victim. So, you know, they're kind of putting it all on Tawana. And a year later, the New York State Attorney General Robert Abrams convened a grand jury to call was that was called to hear all the evidence. Um, and on October 6, 1988, so a little bit less than a year later, um, they released a 170-page report that concluded that Brawley had not been abducted, assaulted, raped, or sodomized, as she had claimed. The report also said that, quote, unsworn public allegations against Dutchess County Assistant District Attorney Stephen Pagonis, end quote, were also factless and had no basis, in fact. And the grand jury heard from 180 witnesses. They saw 250 exhibits and they recorded more than 6,000 pages of testimony. Um, they noted a lot of problems with Brawley's story. Among them were the rape kit results that did not indicate sexual assault. Additionally, they said that like, again, things I talked about earlier, she didn't have any appearance of having been held captive outside. Like, it even appeared she was well-nourished and it appeared she'd even brushed her teeth recently. The racial epithets that were written on her were written upside down, which led to a suspicion that she had written the words on herself. And the testimony from her schoolmates um, said that she had attended a local party during the time of her supposed abduction. So one witness 
claimed that they observed Brawley climbing into the garbage bag as well. And that the feces on her were identified as coming from a neighbor's dog. So she never testified before the grand jury, even though she got subpoenaed. She never did it. So on June 6th, of that of that same year of the grand jury earlier that year Tawana's mother Glenda was sentenced to 30 days in prison and and fined $250 for contempt for con refusing to testify at that grand jury and she avoided getting fully arrested by hiding in churches and the police like wouldn't go arrest her because she would just be like hiding in these churches where people would be like protecting her and then eventually they left New York um, state and settled in Virginia Beach so I feel like around the year mark, people started beginning referring to this as a hoax, or maybe it was a few months after where like there she just wasn't speaking. And also Perry McKinnon, who was a former aide to Reverend Al Sharpton, came forward saying that all of it was lies. And of course, Al Sharpton and his two guys were like, this guy's lying. So it was like a, he said, he said. And they're wondering like, okay, so let's say she invented this and made this whole thing up. Like, why? Why would she do it? And the grand jury evidence pointed to her possible motive being that she had skipped school for the whole day to go visit her boyfriend and her ex-boyfriend in jail. And her stepfather was violent and got really mad at her whenever she was late or out with boys or anything like that. So they think she was trying to avoid violent punishment um, from her stepfather and possibly her mother who had previously beaten her for running away and shoplifting and he'd beaten her for like things she had done. So um, yeah, as I said, he had a history of violence, stabbed his first wife 14 times, which later escalated to him shooting and killing her. The, also, some witness said that they had heard King talking about Tawana in a sexual way. So I don't think she hasn't had an easy life in her home. A guy named Jonathan Markovitz, who was, wrote a book in 2004 about perceptions of racial violence, said, quote, it is reasonable to suggest that Brawley's fear and the kinds of suffering that she must have gone through must have been truly staggering if they were enough to force her to resort to cutting her hair, covering herself in feces, and crawling into a garbage bag. I agree with him. So, yeah. So, a lot of people are saying something happened to this girl, whether it's what she's claiming happened or not, something happened to her. So, a couple of years later on May 21st, 1990, Alton H. Maddox, one of the three guys that was on Tawana's little team, was indefinitely suspended from the appellate division of the state Supreme Court in Brooklyn after failing to appear before a disciplinary hearing about his involvement in the Brawley case. Later, Stephen Pagones, in 98, he sued all three of those guys and was awarded $345,000. He sued for $395 million, but he got $345,000 through a lawsuit for defamation of character that he brought uh, against Sharpton, Maddox, and Mason. And um, what's crazy is the jury found Sharpton liable for seven defamatory statements, Maddox for two, and Mason for one. But wildly, Al Sharpton only had to pay 65 k and Maddox had to pay 97k and the other guy had to pay 188,000 and it's like why that's it's just completely opposite of how many counts of defamatory statements they had so i don't really understand that maybe someone can write in and explain it to me why you have to pay more when you said maybe less bad like shit maybe like what you said maybe one horrible statement is more expensive yeah, than seven baby statements i don't know that's true that's true that's possible maybe he said seven things that were kind of defamatory and then one of them said like oh he definitely i did raped this girl um, look up jonathan markovitz and he's uh -huh. a lecturer at fuck in san diego he lives in san diego 
Come on the pod. Yeah, Univers- uh, Irvine School of Law. So, Oh, maybe he'll, maybe we get him come to our next show in Irvine. So, yeah. So he got all, all this award uh, money from them. Sadly, you know, Al Sharpton's very rich and like well-known and he just had other people pay for his settlement. So like 65K for him, no big deal. Johnny Cochran and all these other famous people like helped like pay for that for him. The uh, the poor other guys are like still the in 2012 they reported that Maddox had paid his 97k and that Mason was making payments on his 188k. So, you know, and Pagones uh said that it's probably Pagones and people are going to get on me but I don't know. Pagones said the turmoil of the accusations by Brawley and her advisors cost him his marriage and a lot of personal, you know, pain and suffering. He also sued Tawana, Stephen Pagones, sued Tawana for, I guess, I, I don't know that she ever named him. It was her people that named him, but, you know, he sued her. And the judge, she didn't show up in court and the judge ordered her to pay $185,000. And so years later, she still hadn't made any payments. And so the court actually ordered her wages to be garnished. And so now he started receiving $627 a month from her, which is a big payment, like, out of your month to go to somebody. And it's, uh, he told the Post, it's a long time coming. And he said, I'm more interested in extracting a confession from Brawley than cash. Every week she'll think of me. And every week she can think about how she has a way out. She can simply tell the truth. But in 1997, this guy is guilty. She- this is an asshole. This is a guilty psycho guy, dude. Like, this is to go after someone that clearly something fucked up happened to them in this way is like, yeah. I don't trust you. And I think you are guilty. Yeah. If you weren't a bad guy, your wife wouldn't have left you. You weren't found guilty of any of this. Like, you suck, dude. Yeah. I don't trust this motherfucker. If it's all about the confession, why are you taking that money? You need her to think about you. He is re-traumatizing her. I think this motherfucker's guilty of something. I don't trust him. No, I 100% think something is not kosher there. But in 1997, Tawana finally broke her silence and talked before a packed church in Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn. And she said, I'm telling the truth. This happened to me. Like, why would we make this up? Like, how would I, you know, whatever. But I don't know if she never really addresses like the inconsistencies or anything. And as of 2013, she had changed her name and moved to rural Virginia where she was working as a nurse. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I know, nurses get paid well, but like six twenty seven gone out of your paycheck every month. That's like not. But she's living in rural Virginia, so hopefully she's getting by. And um, apparently, influenced by her dealings with Louis Farrakhan, she did convert to Islam during the trial and remains an active member of the Nation of Islam. And that is, but her story has been used for decades as. A, like the way that Alec Baldwin uses it in the episode. Oh, it's another Tawana Brawley. She's making it up. She's making it up. And it's like, again, like even if it didn't happen the way she said it happened, much like in this episode, something happened, you know? Yeah, I've never heard of this at all. Yeah. Well, it basically happened the year you were born. So it, I could see why, <laughs> yeah. you know, but... But, but I would look into Pagones. Is- Are you, or maybe he'll come for us. Maybe we shouldn't say anything. Yeah, I mean, people, like, definitely connect her with, like, the Jussie Smollett hoax, like, trying to fake a hate crime or whatever. And there's just all kinds of, all kinds of uh, ways that her case is used politically, and I think. But I wonder if, like, 
I don't know. I wonder if those guys like kind of used her for political gain and it didn't. Yeah, I'm sure if Sharpton and all those guys were not involved, no one would have known about this case ever. No, exactly. Like, I think that people love to jump on, as we've just recently seen, people love to jump on a, a woman was lying case. You know, it definitely helps men feel better about themselves. Okay, at the 20-year mark, the family wanted to reopen it. Um, but I mean, obviously, at this time, the family's still really standing by it, saying, like, this happened. But then, you know, what other what doubters point out is that her family also was receiving a ton of money from people. Like people were donating, giving them money. And so maybe they, maybe, you know, this started out as like devil's advocate, people are saying like, okay, she went back to her old apartment, stayed there for a few days, staged this whole thing so that her family wouldn't get mad at her. And then when it blew up, the family was like, all right, let's stick with this story. We're getting paid. That's what people say. It's a true but, mystery. Yeah, it is a mystery. And it's it's just wild. Like, But she, she says that she, it's, she says it happened, but, you know, not for the past... 10 years or so, she's been kind of under a different name and a bit in hiding, I think. Damn. Yeah. Anyway, Thank that's you for that. that. And You're welcome. We're going to slide on into a guest. Okay, today's guest has range, you guys. From art house films to popular TV shows, this woman has done it all. You've seen her in movies like Towelhead and Under the Silver Lake. Plus, she recently starred in the sci-fi TV show The Magicians, which ran for five seasons. But you know her from today's episode as Hiba Salim. We are thrilled for you to hear our chat with Summer Bischel. Did you watch Law & Order SVU before you got this part? Or were you like, not really? Or like a hotel dabbler? I mean, a hotel dabbler. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I was a hotel dabbler. Like, it, I, I've seen it. I had seen it. I was, I was aware of it. I mean, you can't not be. It's such, right. a, it's such a part of the culture. It's been on so long. Um, so I had seen episodes and also, like, probably auditioned for it. Like, I feel like that and, like, back in the day ER was, like, where you got your SAG card. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'm sure I had auditioned for it at some point. I mean, you're very talented. The acting is so good in this episode. Did you feel like you knew you nailed the audition? I didn't audition, which was like... Oh, excuse me. Yeah, I know. only girl. No, and it came at a time where I felt this was before I had booked... Uh, the Magicians, which was like my longest running job, which was great for a, a number of things. But I was sort of auditioning and not really hearing back. And I was in this weird period in my career where I was like, you know, in my 20s. And it was like, I'm either going to like make that jump from having worked as a young person and continue to work as an adult or I'm not. And I felt really scared and I wasn't getting a lot of opportunity. And it was before things had opened up for diverse people. And I was really afraid and and scared for my future. And then I got this call that I was offered this and it felt like so affirming and so good. Um, And of course it would be a woman who would offer it and make me feel valued, you know, because she was, (laughs) she was directing uh, the episode. So it was, it was just extra special and felt really good to be offered something. Yeah. 
And I see your sweatshirt does say New York. Or do you live in New York? Or are you in no. LA girl? Where does magicians film? That film, so we 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 wrapped and finished our show two years ago, right before the pandemic. But that filmed in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I'm from Los Angeles and I live in Los Angeles. So how was it filming in New York, especially in the streets? That scene where you're in all white in the middle of the street in the CCTV, like how was it yeah. filming in the streets of New York? Fucking cold. I'm not. <laughs> oh, cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was cold. I'm an LA girl. And before, the only other place I've ever lived before in Los Angeles was the Middle East. So I was like, damn, it's cold. Yeah. You know, but Marishka has such a work ethic and is so inspiring and such an example um, that I really wanted to work hard and do a good job and, you know, be a team player. So I like bucked up and did it, but I was cold. Yeah. No, I mean, you're like, you were, when we first meet your character, you're like strapped to a stretcher. I'm sure you were freezing. Um, Okay. So that scene when you're in all white, the streets are totally empty and that, that that rarely happens. Usually there's people walking around. So they close that street or are you really filming in the middle of the night? Okay. They did. It was so much fun. Like that, the crew was so great and the cast was so nice. It was just so good to be on a set at that time in my life and to have it be such a great set to be on like it was so welcoming and uh positive that like so much of my time in between setups I was just like talking to the crew having a great time so like I think they locked it up I remember waiting in a car with some of the crew well I think they were locking it up and it was it, it, it felt special it felt really it was a cool way to like experience New York yeah for sure and on such a beloved show, I feel like the city probably knew that show very well and had been locking it up for years yeah. for them. <laughs> no, anytime I see those signs where it's like streets closed for filming, it's like the hope is that it's SVU and it never is for me. <laughs> yeah. that, that is the yeah. hope. Yeah. No, they they locked it up. I'm pretty I'm pretty certain. I know I know this is like the only episode of SVU you've done, so it's not like you have anything to compare it to, but we haven't really talked to that many people who have worked on an episode where Mariska was directing. Like we always hear what you're saying that she's so professional, great work ethic, she welcomes people yeah. onto the set, blah blah blah, but like I was wondering if you had any like insights into like her directing. I would be interested to hear like how that was. For me, it was the first time being directed by a female. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, it was special for for that reason. And then obviously who she is as as a person and and as an actress and as a director. Like she's very clear. And being directed by an actress or an actor is very different than being directed by a director. So it was very clear what she was looking for. There was a lot of respect for process. Um, And I think if you're an actor and you're directing another actor and it's a very emotional scene, there's just an intuitive awareness of what somebody is probably experiencing in order to do the scene. So I felt very taken care of in that way. Um, I felt like, you know, there, there, there's always been sets, you know, in the past, and I'm not saying it was a, it, it is or was a bad thing where you're kind of like, God, can you lock it up? Can I just get some quiet? Like, yeah. I'm having a great time too, but like, can I just get some quiet? That was not an issue. It was like when I was doing serious scenes, it was locked tight. 
it was quiet on set and I didn't have to kind of tune anything out. It was the environment really supported doing the emotional work that was being asked. And she really supported what was being asked. Um, And just the safety of doing those types of scenes because it was sexual assault with a woman directing, I think just innately becomes, um, I don't want to say easier, but more special in some way. Well, so the scenes where you are emotional, but she's in the scene with you, when does she just yell cut? Like, is that weird where you're in it? And then it's like, okay, (laughs) bye. Like, when does, does she give a beat? Like, how does that work? I wish I, like, could remember. (laughs) It was one of those things that, like, I was having so much fun experiencing that I didn't realize at the time and that we would be when, asking you detailed questions of every moment. <laughs> but also that it would be such a rare event in my career. Like I was young enough and had worked inconsistently enough where I didn't realize. I mean, obviously things have changed now and being on the show that ran for so long, we did have much more female directors coming in. I had a female showrunner, you know, but I didn't know how special that would be in the years to come before that show mm. and and the fight that it that it was to to get to the place that we're getting to now in the industry. You know what I mean? So I you know, because I was I was like young enough and like not aware enough that I wasn't like, wow, this is like really, really fucking rare in Hollywood, yeah. you know, um at the time. Cause I was just like, this is awesome. You know. But um uh, yeah, so I don't really remember when she yelled cut. I just remember being like, what a badass. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, wanting to, like, be her. <laughs> like, yeah. just being so inspired. Any other scoop on any of the other cast members that you enjoyed and had some moments with? Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed everybody on that. Um, I remember what was nice was I worked with another actor I had worked with previously on the reboot of 90210. Um, He was in this episode as well. So that was kind of cool. It was like, oh, hey, like, nice to see you again. Um, So that was cool because I, like, knew somebody. Was he one of the bad guys? Who was the guy from that you knew? See, this is why I should have rewatched the episode. Manish Dial. Oh, was he one of your brothers? Maybe he was one of your brothers? I think he played my brother. I'm like, was he my brother or my fiancé? Like, I don't know. Oh, no, girl. In this episode, you don't get a fiancé. The girl in this family is not allowed to do anything. Right. Only the the boys are. (laughs) Okay, so he was the brother. Okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And he's really sweet and great to work with, and I had worked with him before, so that was like a nice little treat. Um, And obviously, meeting Alec Baldwin and... um, you know, just everybody who was a part of that cast as well. Like, yeah, yeah. Alec Baldwin's character is the most annoying person ever. Um, he like enrages <laughs> while you watch it. How was he right. when he was not in character when you met him and stuff? He was wonderful. He was wonderful, and and again, just just had a had a really impressive work ethic, and you know, wonderful. Yeah. Well, I think it also speaks to like your work also on the episode that like we hate him because he's targeting you so hard. And we're like, but she's, you were like, I don't know, you got people on your side like really well. You're, you're, you just were like, 
I felt so bad for you, even though, even when we knew you were lying, I was like, something else is going on here, you know? Right, exactly. She was so uh, emotionally affected. So obviously emotionally affected. Um, Yeah, wow, that was like really fucking emotional. Like looking back, I'm like, that's some hardcore shit. I remember someone had to explain what Eiffel Tower Oh my God. I didn't know what that meant. That's and then when they so... explained it, I like, it, uh, it, yeah. No, yeah. what those characters did was horrific. And then, yeah, how was it filming this, the courtroom scene? That's like so many people around you. And the testimony is so gut-wrenching. I mean, I was like in front of Alec Baldwin. I just wanted to do a good job. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my God, just don't be bad in front of Alec Baldwin. <laughs> um. But it was like, it was hard, man. I mean, it was emotionally taxing. I think when you, it enraged me what they did to her. Yeah. Pissed me the fuck off. It enraged me. And, and, um, and I didn't mean, I didn't mean to laugh. It's not funny. No, it's I just, know. Yeah. That to me is like in the, in the canon of like made up teenage boy things that don't happen. Oh, and yeah. And then like yeah. just for it to be written into a script and for you to have to like figure out what it is. And then, yeah, yeah, it's, those guys are pretty infuriating too. It's a pretty infuriating episode. You've got those two guys, Alec Baldwin, just like a lot of white men running their mouths. Um yeah, dude, super triggering. Yeah. <laughs> super triggering. Yeah. Uh, it was great that Mariska was directing that episode. Yeah. I think I probably would have been more personally triggered by that because there there was, you know, very clearly, you know, racist elements to it. It was a hate crime, it was a sexual hate crime. Just, I, I mean, it was just so layered and complex and fucked up. And what I kept um, noticing with your character too, on top of everything that happened, she kept being so concerned with her brothers. Yeah. And like the money is going to go to her brothers and what about my brother's job? And it was like an additional layer of like how fucked up everything is. Yeah, it was an additional layer. And like, you know, I had played characters like that before, especially like starting out in Hollywood when I did um, and coming from the region I came from when I did, that was kind of what I was given the opportunity to play a lot. And I wasn't, I'm not necessarily like that. So it was, it was, it was this, like, I was so grateful for the job, but it was still playing something that I had played before and, and desperately wanted to break out of as a person and as Mm. a human being. So I think that frustration helped me with the performance because this was at a time in the industry where, you know, when you, when I would bring up, there's not enough opportunity for me. A lot of times the response I would receive would be, don't be so negative, stay positive. You know, the conversation wasn't like, no, you know what? There isn't enough visibility for women of color on television and the roles are stereotypical and that is frustrating and wrong and should be corrected. Like that wasn't necessarily what was being reflected back to me in the culture. So I think that helped the performance in a way that I probably wasn't even aware of because it's disempowering. It's disempowering and it messes with your sense of reality because you're experiencing something that you know is true and you know is wrong, 
but the world is not kind of confirming. It's like a full gaslight. It's a gaslight. It's a gaslight. And so I feel like that experience is probably and was probably my way of accessing the injustices that she was experiencing and the silencing that she was experiencing that I could not personally relate to, Mm. like on a literal level. Um, Because, you know, my father's, you know, from, from Saudi Arabia, but empowered me and, you know. It was, I had a different relationship with my, with right. my father. Yeah. And speaking with the emotions, you nailed one of the things that impresses both Karen <laughs> and I so much, which is the one yeah. single tear. Oh, well, yeah. Really nailed. You squeezed out a good one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was incredible. It was a. <laughs> okay. All right. That's good. I remember just like, I mean, I'm glad I was like, yeah. I feel like those, like, I, I just went and went and I could have gone and gone again and again when I was that age. And now, like, I feel like I'd be like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's get this in a take and be done. So but crying, I, like conjuring up like tears and like, but but like understated, not like sobbing, like the the one tear, like that's never really been hard for you. You've always been able to kind of just like access no. that. Yeah. And, but, but what's funny is I think like when it's called for and it was called for in that scene and in the courtroom and for this character and for this, this role, because it was just such a injustice what happened to her. And like, again, her relationship with her parents and like how they treated her and what the, the, how small they made her world was just like, so sad. I mean, it was definitely all called for here, but I think what's more challenging as an actor is playing something much more complex than that. Um, especially when you're young, like you start out and you're like, look, I can cry on cue. And it's like, yeah, it's great. And it'll get you like three jobs, but like, what else can you do? You yeah. Know? And as I've worked more and I've realized that that's not actually the hard part. Right. So, yeah. What I is mean, the hard part? I think... Because it seems hard to me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It seems really hard. I know, you would think. But I think what's more challenging is convincing an audience to be with you without something that, like... I want to choose my words carefully. Clearly emotional. It clearly asks the audience to feel something. It's very clear. And it's a very big tool but I think if you use it all the time Mm. you know it kind of like it gets old and it's you know I think what's harder is to get somebody to feel something without visibly being like I'm feeling everything you know I think yeah it's harder were you so in that courtroom scene when you're getting cross-examined by Delaney Williams Buchanan who is (laughs) like this we have had him on our podcast and he was like the sweetest like teddy bear of a man. But like on the show, he's always so hated. He's always going after like victims and trying to like, you know, so it's like, so I was wondering, yeah, did you find like you were sort of able to, I don't know, kind of not like spar against him, but you were kind of like really playing the scene with him where he was like, you know, yeah. Does he does does someone like him and that kind of character like help get you to that place too of like you yeah. know because he's so infuriating and like and such a good actor. and yeah and he's such a good actor. Oh, it definitely did. Yeah, 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 it definitely did. The the hard part for me is I'm somebody who responds with very clear anger, mm. like 
if somebody's fucking with me, I'm like, fuck you. (laughs) So what was really hard was to stay in her world. That was what was really hard. I was like, I want to get up and fucking. Yeah. Suck this motherfucker. And her thing, her world is like not having a voice usually, you know? Yeah, that was so hard. Yeah. Because like I said, like my father raised me so differently. Like my experience in the Middle East and being raised by a father from the Middle East was not what was written in the script. It was a very different experience. Like I, you know, my mom's super, you know, feminist and like I was just raised to like start a riot, you know, and like speak mm-hmm. up and if somebody messes with you, like, you know, stand your ground. So, and I can get pretty like angry at, at that kind of like minimizing because it, it it had happened a lot to me from men mm. in my life and you know it's ha- it happens and it just it really really eats at me so it's really really hard to just shut up and say the lines as the character would say it yeah I'm curious, um, do you watch things that you're in? Do your parents want to watch it? Like, if they did watch it, was it hard for them to watch? Yeah. Even though it's a character, but, like, you going through this horrific thing. So they watched it. My mother did. I'm not sure how much my dad has ever watched of my career. I know he watched my first movie, and he was like, yeah, it was really good. (laughs) Okay, thanks. But, uh... I I don't know that he watched it. And, I, you know, I don't know that he'd be able to or want to watch too much of that emotional stuff, to mm-hmm. be honest. And he'd probably want me to, like, get up and, like, you know. Yeah, like, punch Buchanan fight. in the face. <laughs> yeah, like, fight back, you know. So I don't think he saw that, but my mom did. And she was gutted. And, yeah, she got emotional. She was there when I was filming. I took her because I was like, let's go to New York. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mom's like, we had a trip. A little mom-daughter trip. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. fun. That's yeah. so fun. Did she come to set a lot or was it just because it was a New York specific job? I love this. She didn't come to set ever, which, which, which she never wants to come to set. She just comes on the fun trip. <laughs> like, you know, and then we'll like hang out in the off days and she'll explore whatever city I'm in. She comes a lot. I'm pretty close to my family and I like to stay close. It seems like it. I can never imagine bringing my mom to set. I feel like we're close, <laughs> but that would stress me out so My mom hard. would be an absolute nightmare. I, yeah, I can't imagine it, <laughs> yeah. but I'm happy for you, Summer. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what so so? What's the vibe of the fans from the magicians? Because we deal with a lot of SVU fans. Yeah, They're rabid. Yeah. Like I you bet. have been on the show for like five seasons or something. The magicians ran. We ran for five seasons. Five <laughs> yeah. seasons. Yeah, so cool. It so what's so the vibe cool. of your fans? Are they crazy? Are they sending you hair dolls? What's the deal? No, not at all. <laughs> They're really like chill. I mean, it was like it was one of those rare things. I I I feel like it doesn't happen a lot in the industry, like ever, and probably even more rare now where it was like a small audience but somehow it was enough to have us run for five years like we had like this steady gig that Mm -hmm. like only a couple people knew about and they were always chill and like no one really knows who I am except sometimes (laughs) I'll get like the random person at Whole Foods it's like Margo's really cool (laughs) (laughs) that's it I mean it's, it's kind of it's a small niche niche audience well, that's probably good because I know sci-fi, not the channel, but like the genre, like those fans can be so 
as someone who's married to someone that's like very into that world. Like yeah. the fans can just be so like brutal. Like, oh, and then that, that show is based on a book, like a series of books, right? And it's yeah. like, you don't get, the, don't get it right from the books. It's like, fuck you. And yeah. you know, like, so I know. that's good that you had like kind of a chill, I know. chill crowd. I know. And it was so funny because like I was, I, I was cast like pretty late in that process. And I know a lot of the cast had read the books and really, you know, loved the books, wanted to honor the books. And I like, we were like halfway through the pilot and they're like, so you're like, what do you think of the books? I'm like, I haven't read the fucking book. <laughs> <laughs> I eventually read the book, but you know, I didn't feel all that like crazy pressure. Right. Now well, I'm going to get some. It should be its own thing in a way, but. It should be, yeah. Yeah, we saw how the Game of Thrones fans have acted. Um, yeah. But yeah. we obviously stalked you online and we saw Four Samosas. Was that just at Tribeca? It was just at Tribeca, yeah. Can you tell us about the movie and being at the fest and just anything like that? Yeah, I wish I had been able to go. I like, oh. I couldn't get down there and I was so bummed about it because I haven't even seen the film, but I was there for the shooting and I know it's good. I just, you could, I could feel it. Yeah. Um, and like the cast is so, so great. It was just so fun. Like <laughs> it was nice to have gone from like this, like long running show. It was like, you know, they had money. Like when you're on a show for five years, it has money. So you're like, you got the nice trailers. You got, it's convenient. You know, it's like TV. Mm-hmm. So you're like kind of pampered in TV. And then to go to this like gorilla style, like indie film was like really cool. It was like, all right, action. Okay. We got it. And like, <laughs> you know, like everybody's doing three different jobs and like so happy to be there. Like it, well, that sounds like it works with your your later in life. Let's just do it in one take and move on. Exactly. <laughs> like, that sounds like that good fit. <laughs> it does. It was just such a like feel good set. Yeah, it was awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's great. And then do you have any other like projects that are coming up that you want to ta- tell our listeners about? Well, I have something that they're still, I think they're still like negotiating it or it's not done yet or for sure. So hopefully I can talk about that soon. So All that'll right. be exciting. Okay. We'll just tell people to go to, to follow you on the, on your IG. I'm yeah, sure you'll announce exactly. it there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, you're really talented. We are so happy that you agreed to talk to us. Thank you. Can't wait to see what the secret project's gonna be. <laughs> oh, it's not any, like, <laughs> any last minute like little tidbits from the set that you remember? A special snack you ate that was delicious, or a person you ran into that was cool to that was. I mean, you said your your old friend from nine oh two one zero, but yeah, I don't know. Did Danny Pino like burp in the middle of a scene? Anything? <laughs> no, but we love da- it. Danny Pino was so nice and so chill I was like I was actually looking back in my phone of old photos and there's like a photo that I took with him and Marishka and all these cute little photos I mean I just remember like really liking my pink hijab like I just thought it was super pretty I discovered (laughs) cronuts for the first time (laughs) because that famous bakery Ansel something is like was right outside the hotel so like I discovered cronuts and uh yeah, that was like the most memorable part. My mom was convinced she got frostbite on her nose. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's all I got. True California people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you got the hip dessert. I remember when Cronuts came out. That was a really, I, uh, that was a huge Super. moment. It was a, big, a big moment. moment. Oh my God. <laughs>
Oh, man, she is cool. I really like talking to her. She... I'm so excited that the first time she, like, had a female director was Mariska fucking Hargitay. Like, oh, my God. What a experience. Definitely what an experience. And for such, like, an emotional, like, so many emotional scenes. It's probably amazing to have someone that's been on every set of every emotional scene of that show Mm. to guide you through, give you the space you need that's had to cry. I feel I've rewatched Signature recently and well, I just watch SVU all the time. I don't know why I was like, oh, this <laughs> random occurrence. But <laughs> when Erica Christensen, you know, that cry like that was that's one of my favorite Benson cries, if that's oh, like, yeah. a fucked up thing to say. But that was like the act I don't know. I was It's really very real. With her. I think it's like very how you would see somebody react. Like Yeah. Uh, like yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I like know exactly. It's like replaying in my mind right now. Um, Wait, and um, someone tweeted on our behalf to Wendy McClendon Covey. And she was like, wait, what? But I don't know how it, it like had to do with what she posted in SVU, but they were like, are your ears burning? These girls are obsessed with you. And she was like, oh my God. So that's exciting. Yeah, she was like, no, I didn't know. And it's like, I don't know why you would know. I don't know why you would know (laughs) this except for people telling you, which is what's happening right now. Um, Oh, and did you see other comments? Um, People were saying that Dean Cain looks like Scott Peterson. And I guess he did play Scott Peterson in like a TV movie. Yeah, I don't think they look that much alike, but I I do think he's good casting. People are like twins. I don't really see it like, but like, I think it's good casting. But what did we learn from this episode? What's our post-mortem takeaway? Like rich dicks are the worst worst people (laughs) in the world. Um, I don't know. Um, I thought it was like... I mean, I'm all for forgive and forget, but I thought Olivia let fucking Jimmy, Jimmy numbnuts out through a little bit too easy at the end. Like That's I actually exactly what I was about to say, like trying to interrupt you this whole time is, oh, well, I guess what I've learned is you could be the worst person ever and then do one nice thing and everything's <laughs> forgiven. Like <laughs> yeah. what the fuck is going on? Yeah, yeah, he was terrible. Um and, and it seems like he's a bad, uh, like, romantic partner. He's a bad dad. He's, like, he's bad at everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like the Tawana Brawley story was, like, really, really... I don't know. That was a very interesting story to me because it's, like, even if it didn't happen the way that she said that it happened, she's clearly had a lot of trauma and there's just zero sympathy or empathy for that from people. Like, no one is like, wow, to create a story like this, she must have been very terrified from, like, you know, in her life, if, if it was if it was made up, which, I mean, she still maintains that it's not. Um, and, yeah, I just, I don't know. No. I've been thinking about her a lot lately, and I feel like, especially with, I'm not getting into Amber Heard shit again, but, you know, especially with when people have someone that, that becomes a figurehead for women lying about their attacks, you know? Yeah, and right now they're trying to spin it um, against that aide who testified against the former president. It's just like, whatever. I just, I I, I can't. I can't. I can't. Yeah. Um, But this was a really good, impactful episode. Scary, sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but- I, and I mentioned, and I keep mentioning, and it just sucks that, like, she was, this character was raised in a way that she still continued to care about her brothers more than her. 
Yes. Well, and that's the thing. It's like what we were talking in the intro about the nuance of all these, like everything has fucking nuance and like the truth even, there's some nuance to that. So like, even though she was, didn't give the the perfect details at the beginning, like she still had a horrific thing happen to her. And like, there's, there's always just things you don't know. So when people are like, why didn't you just do this? Why didn't you go to the cops? Why didn't you say this? Why didn't you react this way? It's just like, there's so much that you have no idea. No, all actually, the time, in every moment. You have no idea what the person who just cut you off in traffic is going through. You know, like in every moment, there's just like a lot more under the surface than you think. Absolutely. And I don't know if this fully ties, but um, one of the fathers from the Valde shooting, like a week later, something was giving an interview to the press and someone was like, oh, get over it. Like, it, it, it is why, or like, you know, I'm on BuzzFeed all the time looking at lists and it's like moments you knew when you had to quit your job and it was like someone in their family died and it was like, okay, well, you should have let us know. Like, I, I don't understand, but I don't know if they're sociopaths, if they're like, I don't know what it is. Like, what is it that makes us all so cold and not nice or understanding to each other ever at any time? Yeah. <sighs> These great, great questions of humanity. I don't know, but... Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of, yeah. Can we just talk about Drag Race, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me Oh my God, a- people, we were, I was smoking weed yesterday and someone just said, because the, like people were dabbing and it, we were, someone said like, oh God, we're going to the moon. And then I immediately, it's like, two, 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 two. two. <laughs> we can't sing We can't sing it, podcast. but you know what I'm talking about. I guess another thing I learned is journalists should not be trusted. They should not be on the ground in a police investigation. I don't know. No, I mean, in a, in a listen, like a lot of journalists have uncovered a lot of really important shit. We need the media in a lot no, of I ways. I take it back. The moment I said but, it, you could tell in my face No, this I man it. should not be fucking ME medical examining assistants so he can get info on a crime. I mean, that's ethics. Not to bring up Gamergate, ethics and journalism. <laughs> um... <laughs> But yeah, like that character was just, as anybody can't like, you know, he probably started out really like idealistic and like, I write for the common man and I'm not, I can't be bought by any corporations. And then like, as the legend in his own mind thing grew and grew, it gets out of control. You know, you got to like check your ego at some point. And I think he needed Olivia Benson to fucking do that for him. Absolutely. And you know how Summer was talking about how she was raised like fully different and her dad empowered her. And so this these like characters, she ended up playing early, a lot in her early career, like such a departure from her for her. Um, I was hanging out with a few brown comics yesterday and they suddenly, like I, I didn't bring this up. They were talking about how their moms are so religious. Like in the heat, we'll wear like full sleeves to their like and high and tight not even like a loose they they call it like a Pakistani loose but like hijab like full high and tight like so they were just talking about their moms and like um the religion and stuff and I asked if they had siblings immediately and it's all boys and I go I go so no sisters and one of them legit was like oh thank god he goes if I had a sister she would be shipped to the Middle East I go are you kidding and he goes if I had a sister, she would not be allowed to live here. She would be shipped to the Middle East. Jesus. 100%. And so they all, both of them were just like, oh, thank God we don't have no girls in our family because they, their lives would not be as fun. But he was saying, um, one of the comics, Asif Ali, who is very famous, he's like booked in everything. Um, he was in WandaVision. Like he's, I just really he's like great. him. Um, he was saying how when he was a kid, he got a fade and his dad took him to the mosque and someone at the mosque was like, that is, fades are against the Quran. (laughs) And it's like, people are just... Really? Yeah. Yeah, Allah talked about fades in the Quran. I don't know about that. (laughs) I guess like, I guess, uh, 
I guess like you can only have one level because that's what Muhammad had. And it's like, what is going yeah. on in the Sarah, world? When Sarah Silverman did my show once in New York, she did this bit that was so funny that it was always about like Orthodox Jews wearing their like clothes, it, like the heavy wool clothes in the in the summer. And she was like, I just don't think God's going to care if you go for like a poly blend. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I just don't think that that's like on the top list of what God has to do today. Um, no, and but, I just, I didn't know the other comics names, but yeah, it was like a fun. And then we were in the corner and then I came out of the corner to smoke weed with everyone. They're like, yeah, what were you doing in that corner? And I go, we were actually talking about Muslimness, Like, I don't know, the religion. <laughs> They're like, so that's the little Muslim corner. I'm like, yes, I did my my Bible study and now I'm here to get fucking <laughs> blasted to the moon. Thank you. Wait, do you like flavored Tootsie Rolls? Sure. What we flavors got, we, do you like? Well, we just got those grape ones when we did um, Mic Drop Comedy. Those are not Tootsie Rolls. Those are a different brand of candy. I think those are Tootsie tooth- Fruities. I thought those were it little baby Tootsie Rolls. It could be a subsidiary. I don't know. I guess maybe I've never had a flavored Tootsie Roll. Uh, the lime, lemon, vanilla. You've never had those? No. Oh, okay. All right. I got to try one. Yeah. You know I love different flavored candies. Wasabi Kit Kats are my one and only. I love them. Really? I just oh, had yeah. strawberry milk Kit Kat. So good. When we got really into the Kit Kat game when we went to Japan, we were like at different stores trying to find, and then me and Emily Heller, we were there at the same time. We would like meet up and swap and let each other try each other's Kit Kats and shit. It, that was the best. <laughs> what a vacation. Um, Japanese snacks are in. Like the youth, um, like like my niece and nephews at least, they go to like a, the H Mart and different Asian superstores and like international markets. And they like, they love Japanese snacks. It's oh, their yeah. favorite thing. We gave my friend like a Japanese snack box that like comes a subscription for a gift and she like is obsessed. Um, the snacks okay. are good. The episode's good. The guest was amazing. Kara, yes. take us on home with yeah, our What Would I, Sister Peg Do? It, thank you. I just wanted to um, this week shout out for What Would Sister Peg Do, which you know is our weekly segment where we just um, give you guys like uh, an organization, an article, a, a doc, something that can like sort of flush out what we talked about in today's episode. And I found this, um, I wanted to highlight today this article that I found that's called Advice for Muslim and South Asian Survivors, colon, How I Navigated Conversations About Sexual Violence with My Family and Community. And it's an article written by um, Sobaya S., a student survivor for EqualRights.org. And um, I just thought it was a, an interesting article and um, gives you sort of a... Per- perspective on like the cultural ramifications of um, sexual assault. And uh, Sobaya is a survivor from the Muslim community, and she discusses the difficulties that come from trying to engage in that conversation with South Asian communities. And uh, she helps guide survivors to speak about assault within their community and um, gives several recommendations on how to start these conversations, including initiating a discussion with family members about assault in general. So if you are interested, the link is in our show notes. And as always, we put it on our stories on Instagram. And then we have a story highlight called WWSPD. And all of our What Would Sister Peg do's are there as well. Thank you, Kara. Um, So next week, uh, please watch along with us. We will be doing Did You Believe in Miracles? Wow, that title just rolls right off the tongue. Um, Season 23, episode 20. We are thrilled. Thank you for listening. We're obsessed with all of you. It is a dream to do this show. And we'll see you next week. Bye, guys.
Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Annalise Nelson. And to our mixer, John Bradley. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Daniel Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.